Good evening, Cincinnati. Different voice leading this one off. You know, Chad is out in California. So um, I am David Simone taking over tonight, joined by, I guess, co-host Mo Egger on you know this edition, episode 334 of the BCJ podcast, presented by the Holy Grail. You know, as it's gotten hot out, make sure you get down to the Holy Grail. Get some cold beers, get some good food. I guess maybe take in the Reds game. You don't have to. I don't know why you'd want to. I don't know why you'd want to ruin your night of going to the Holy Grail by then going to a Reds game. But you know, do whatever you feel is best and uh, head on down there. Proud sponsor of ours have been for a long time, so uh, we appreciate them helping us out. And uh, I'm gonna get in, get right into it with Mo here. Oh, hold on, Amaris. Yep. Hey! I was telling Mo I'm I'm <laughs> producing and you know trying to work this thing and I don't know what the heck is going on from a visual standpoint. Like, I've know. I've been there. I've won. Now you went away. I know. So, I yeah. Okay. I like. Oh no, we're now back. We have this background that is not the whole the holy grail background. <laughs> so you know we we're just all over the place. <laughs> Nope, not that button. Anyway, I'm sure, you know. Well, you know, look, we love the Holy Grail, and we love galactic fried chickens. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) This is great. Oh, man. Let's see. What else can I do here? Oh, well, we're just going to get into it. So thank you for jumping in here. Appreciate it greatly. A lot of UC stuff going on as always feels like it's never ending uh i think what the last time you joined us was from a loud bar on on draft night where we Mm. couldn't really hear anything that you were saying (laughs) so if you'd like to run down any of those you know points uh yeah sauce gardner versus jamar Sauce Gardner versus Jamar Chase is going to be immensely fun to watch. I'm excited about that. And uh, at that point in the evening, I thought Des Ritter was going to go much earlier than he did, but he went to the absolute perfect place for him to get an opportunity. I think those were the two things I talked about uh, the most. Um, and obviously that was a, a pretty significant next couple of days uh, for, for the University of Cincinnati. And uh, um, I'm pumped. I I thought that Brian Cook, to me, I think his NFL career prospects are most interesting, and I still feel that way. So not really much has changed except for the fact that you can hear me now and uh, you really couldn't that night. I hey, I agree completely with the Falcons thing and Dez. That was, mm-hmm. that was one that I, I thought made a ton of sense. And, you know, I, obviously, you know, like you said, we wish that it was not in the third round just because we want to see those guys go as high as possible. But, uh, you know, at the same time, you like to see guys go in places that they maybe have a chance to have the, a long career versus going earlier somewhere else that, you know, it's there's a more of a, a door to them getting on the field. Yeah, and I think we talked about this that night, that if he didn't go in round one, and, and I think by the time we talked, it was, it felt like that wasn't going to happen, but relative to the conversation that surrounded him for a good week to 10 days, going in the third round was going to feel like a disappointment, right? And the, real, and the reality is, that's a remarkable accomplishment to be the second quarterback taken in the draft to go in round three 
and to have enjoyed uh, not only the college career that Des had, but but to have enjoyed sort of um, the rise from a guy that in his you know in his first year there were times where you held your breath every time he dropped back to a dude who became one of the most successful college quarterbacks ever, and to go in the first half of a draft is a remarkable climb. It's a tremendous accomplishment. And that should be focused on more than, oh, he didn't go in round one. He is going to have, I think specifically in Atlanta, a, a tremendous opportunity to prove to teams that, hey, you should have taken him earlier. Uh, you shouldn't have waited to see if he was going to fall. And then the way things unfolded, Thank and you, you know, I, I was even uh, texting with a buddy of mine on that Friday night that every time they showed him, it got more and more uncomfortable. Um and it felt like that party he was at was less and less fun. So when he finally went, there was this huge sigh of relief of, okay, we're not going to have to do this on Saturday. But when you started to look at it from a more, I think, practical standpoint, yeah, he's going to a team where he's going to have a legitimate chance. Now it's it's going to be up to him and the Falcons to figure out a way to make it work. But if if we were talking about places that you would most likely to see him go where he was going to be given a legitimate chance, the Atlanta Falcons, if they weren't at the top of the list, they were certainly pretty damn close. And so I was I was thrilled for him that 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 he gets that opportunity. And if he's successful, no one's gonna care that he didn't go in round one. No, and and I think too, you know, you kind of look at it from a UC fan perspective, but also like now, you know, we're pseudo Falcons fans. I mean, one thing that it yeah. accomplished was that I don't really have to root against him. You know, I know they play this year and he might not even play, but like him going to the Steelers or someone in the AFC, like he directly more so would affect the Bengals as a Bengal fan. And they have a they had a terrible roster. So <laughs> him going in the third round allowed them to take Drake London, allowed them to take a really nice defensive end that if he does end up playing, which I've read a couple things. I mean, I'm not super in tune to o Falcons OTA action, but <laughs> it sounds like from the reporting that they're putting out is that he, he's got a legit chance to play some football this year. And that is not necessarily, you know, dependent on Marcus Mariota getting hurt. Like there's. Yeah. Ideally for me, they go Owen six with Marcus Mariota. He bottoms out against the Bengals. Des comes in in garbage time, looks good. And then he goes from there, right? And and I think what we know about him is, and it sounds cliche, but but if you've spent time around Des, you know he's going to take the responsibility seriously. You know he's going to be a great teammate. You know he's going to be a sponge in terms of uh, absorbing everything there is to absorb when you're you're entering the NFL. You know he's going to work his face off, and you know when he gets that opportunity that he's not going to take it lightly, and he's going to step into an immediate leadership position. I mean he's. You know, I'm not sure that from a physical tool standpoint, I would have put him in the first round, quite frankly. I was rooting for that to happen for him because I think so much of him, but but much of that is based on the fact that I I, I love him as as a worker, as a teammate, as as a guy who's gonna take the responsibility seriously, as as a guy who's gonna, you know, just do everything that he's asked, as a guy who's extraordinarily smart, and as a guy who is still really growing into the position. And so there's some upside there. And so yeah, I, I'm with you. I, you know, look, we, we sort of talked about him going to Pittsburgh. I didn't want him to go to Pittsburgh. I didn't want to have to root against, viscerally root against Desmond Ritter. 
Um, I wanted him to go to the NFC. And and look, you know, this year, maybe he's on the field against the Bengals. I wouldn't bet on that happening, but it, it feels to me like he's got a chance to be on the field at some point this year. And and much of that, I think, has to do with the roster. Much of that has to do with the fact that if you're the Falcons and you get to the second half of the season, chances are you're going to ask yourself, why not? What do we have to lose? We have to figure out what we have in this guy. We If we think this guy is the future, we have to get a jump start on that by giving him some experience. And and all of that can happen without interfering with our lives as Bengals fans right. in all likelihood. And my, my only concern, and it can still can be a concern with the Falcons, is that, as I said, the roster is awful. Yeah. And with you know, Bryce Young and CJ Stroud next year, they could be in position to draft a quarterback. And as much as it, I hate to say it, like drafting does in the third round is not going to keep them from drafting no. either one of those guys in the first couple picks, if they have that opportunity, but it also sounds like they have, and again, sounds like we'll see what happens when the season rolls around. They have no intentions of tanking uh, for, either one of those guys now they can say that in in early june and we'll let's see what happens come november if they're you know one and eleven so, something like that but that was my only concern going to that type of a roster was that they have another awful year and they're in position to draft a, another quarterback because they were able to wait until the third round and i think that stemmed from i didn't like my very amateur nfl draft scouting had none of these guys as first round picks and and so when you don't have somebody go until picket goes and then nobody goes into the second round i think all the teams basically said we can wait because no one's going to take these guys and we can get pre- more premium positions of, of better evaluations and still get our guy like they did in the third round yeah, it's it's funny. I, I suddenly started to look closely at the Falcon schedule for the reasons that you just articulated. And you're like, all right, man, you know what? They they play the AFC North. The AFC North is is going to be really good. And man, you know what? The division they get in their conference is the NFC West. And, you know, the NFC West is a chance to be really good. And so, but the good news is the NFC South, it's not like they can't win games in that division, right? right. I mean, you know, as as good as the Buccaneers might be, they're starting a guy that's older than me at quarterback. And they have a, a new, not a first-time head coach, but a new head coach. And I don't know that the the Saints or Carolina Panthers are all that intimidating if you're trying to figure out, okay, how can the Falcons win games? Point being, I, I think there's a pathway to them not having the, the first two picks in the draft. But yeah, I mean, look, if, if they have a chance to take C.J. Stroud, in all likelihood, Desmond Ritter's place on the roster is 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 not going to preclude them from doing that. But, you know, look, Des has a chance to establish some degree of worth in the NFL. And if you could do that at quarterback, somebody's going to want you, somebody's going to value you, and somebody's going to pay you. And that's the thing. I mean, yeah, we've seen all these guys that we think, what are you doing? Like still get traded for first and or second round picks. I mean, Carson Wentz just got dealt for multiple pre you know multiple top thursday friday picks coming uh-huh. off the season where you know you or i or chad or whoever could have done exactly what he did against jacksonville with the with the trip to the playoffs on the line and somebody gave up multiple picks for that so if they stink but des shows that he's 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 pretty good someone's gonna want him yeah des ritter isn't gonna be one and done you know, it's he's not going to get three games as an NFL player, three games as an NFL starter, and the Falcons hit the eject button, 
cut him next year and he never is on a professional football roster again. That's that's not going to happen. So it's going to be interesting to see what the trajectory of his career is, but at least he gets a good launching point, man. I mean, at least he gets a, a place where he is going to have a legitimate – I would be stunned beyond belief – if Dez only gets mop-up snaps or doesn't play at all, right? I think we would all be stunned if the season unfolds and we get to the end of it and you're like, Dez never started, Dez never played in any meaningful situations. That's not going to happen. And so, I mean, that's that's the beauty of this. It's Ultimately, it's up to the guy to show what he can do. And yeah, he's going to be doing it with a crummy roster around him and um, maybe not so great of a coaching staff or whatever, but he's going to have a shot. So that's all you could ask for. And I think he would tell you that, so... We'll see if he takes advantage, and if he does, somebody will have Desmond Ritter on their roster in 2023, even if it's not the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, I just don't see them being good enough or Marcus Mariota being good enough to keep him from starting games. Right. Um, So I want to kind of, since we've hit that, I want to kind of go back a little bit. But first, I want to say what's up to everybody that's in the chat. You know, fire any questions that you have to us. We appreciate it. Um, So... Kind of piggybacking off of that, just wanted to kind of go backwards. And it was funny because I record a lot of weird football stuff and sports stuff on the DVR. And I just wanted, I, the other day, I wa- decided I was going to watch Game Day just to, just to <laughs> relive that, just to see, like, you know, what that was all about. Um, again, you know, in June, I'm always watching old football stuff, but just kind of your, you know, I'm sure you've said it countless times when the season was was over and and since then but just kind of your lasting memory from the 2021 season that i mean for all intents and purposes will go will go down maybe you know can't predict the future but one of if not the greatest seasons in uc football history just what kind of what are some things that just kind of stick out to you as you as a fan but also as someone that, you know, was at every game from a professional standpoint and worked with Dan and Jim and stuff like that. Like what are some of the, the big takeaways and big memories that you have, you'll have from the season? Um, Jerome Ford's 42 yard run with uh, seven and change to go in the third quarter, which put them up by three scores and basically salted away. The Houston Cougars is, almost an out-of-body experience. Um, You know, and everybody's going to remember the scene after the game, and everybody's going to remember, you know, sort of the anxiety we all felt at halftime, right? I mean, they they were up a point, and, God, it was all right there in front of them. You know, everything that had to happen happened. The Big 12 title game, I mean, that ended, like, while I was on the air doing the pregame show. And and you're like, okay, now all they got to do is win. And at halftime, they had played pretty unevenly, and you're like, this isn't going to happen this way, right? Like they're, they're not going to piss it away at home. They're not going to have, you know, this insanely long home winning streak. It's all right there in front of them and they lay an egg and they played one of the best quarters they've, they played all season and the Ford touchdown, you know, certainly, yeah, there's a lot of football left, but they're not going to blow a 22 point lead at home to this team. And so when he took that to the house, the, the feeling I had of, holy crap, this is going to happen, um, is is almost unlike anything I've experienced in, in sports and, and even to a larger degree uh, more surreal than anything the Bengals brought me through and more surreal than, than Pike to Bins as, as much as I, I still think that's the best sporting event I've ever been at. So that, w- when you asked me to talk about the season, 
the feeling that I remember more than any, because you know, even like when they beat Notre Dame, you know, first of all, I thought they were going to beat Notre Dame, right? I mean, just at face value, all week long, I'd have people say to me, "Well, God, they're favored." And I go, "Yeah, they're the better team. They're better. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the they they sh- they should be favored. They're the better well, team." It was, it was very funny. Like my parents' next door neighbors grew up in South Bend. Parents have been season ticket holders for like 30, 40 years. I mean, forever. So we go up and we rented a house and we're around all these Notre Dame fans all week. And they're like, what do you think is going to happen? I'm like, we're going to win. And they're like, oh, you're just saying that. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, we're going to win. And they're just like, they, they, you know, and I don't blame them, but there's just the mystique of Notre Dame and you're UC and you've never been here and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, no, like, we're better. Like, we're going to win. Yeah. And I think as the game went on, you could tell in the stadium, they're like, these guys are actually better. Like, they're they're probably going to win. Yeah, I, I look. It was awesome when they won that game. Um, <clears throat> I'll I'll never forget being there. I'll never forget hearing "Let's Go Bearcats" ring throughout the stadium. I'll never forget watching the guys storm the field when they won the game. Um, that was an awesome moment. I have a a photo to my right of Dan Hort and I smoking cigars in front of Touchdown Jesus, which I told him he was going to have to do uh, before the game even started. And Dan doesn't smoke cigars. Um, it was awesome. But, you know, again, it was like, yeah, I expected them to win. But even when they did, <clears throat> you know, it launched the, the college football conversation into hyperdrive. And I certainly participated in it. And I, I get why. But, but you know, even then, even if you looked at the schedule in front of them and felt pretty good about what they were going to do the rest of the way, A, it's still really hard to win every freaking week. Then you applied to it the whole thing about style points and are they winning by enough? Plus all the other stuff that was going to have to happen. It it wasn't really until the big 12 title game fell the way it did that. I really thought they're going to go to the college football playoff, right? Logically, you know, I can make all the arguments in their favor and I could talk people off the ledges about how you don't have to worry about Notre Dame leapfrogging, but still like emotionally, are they really going to do this? And Jerome took that one to the house and the stadium shook and it was, they're doing this. They're doing this. Um, that was awesome. But you know, there was also what I'll never forget is, is something I just sort of referenced. There was a time where those, those, those games weren't fun. Like think Navy, think Tulane, think obviously Tulsa where, you know, it's hard to go undefeated and I don't care what league you're in. There's going to be a week where you just, you got to figure out a way to just survive. And I felt at the time that this team wasn't being given credit for doing that. And, and look, I, I understand, you know, uh, Vegas says you should blow out Tulane. Vegas says you should blow out Navy. Honestly, I, I you know, even though Navy had possession uh, in the waning moments, I, I never really thought those games were in doubt. Tulsa was a little bit different, but I, I just, I, I felt like there was just this sense of dread that accompanied the middle stretch of the season that we were focused too much on things beyond UC's control, that we weren't appreciating enough what it took to win. And I remember, you know, I don't really fight with people on Twitter, but but sometimes in the aftermath of those games going, look, they won, okay? They won. Um, maybe they didn't win by enough, but but they, they're in the conversation. All you can ask is to be in the conversation, and yeah, they're going to have to play better, and yeah, they're going to need some stuff to happen, and yeah, there's going to be conversations at some point about why they didn't beat Tulane by enough or Navy by enough, but God, this this feels like a really miserable way to consume a special season. So why are we doing it this way? And so uh, for me, I almost had to kind of just 
I don't know, seclude myself from right. a lot. I mean, there are friends of mine who just like nonstop during the game. I mean, you know, I, I, somebody said to me after the, the Navy game, this is a loss. And I'm like, buddy, they're seven and oh, man. Like they're, they're, their hopes are alive. They're that's, seven and oh. You're holding thing. this. Yeah. It's people like, are holding this team to an impossibly high standard. And for the most part, they still met it. And yeah, and I don't, you know, and we did a podcast, you know, we do, we've done 334 of these, but we obviously do podcast every week. And I think my prevailing point during that stretch was kind of like, I was enjoying them because if your goal was to make the college football playoff, what happened in those games, as long as they won, didn't matter because they weren't making the playoff unless they were 12 and 0. Yeah. Or thir- whatever, 13 and 0, win the conference. 13 and 0, yeah. So, like, whether they beat Tulane by one or 40, it didn't matter because it was just game seven or eight. Like I enjoyed it because it's one step closer to 13 and zero. Um, you know, part of me also just tunes out some of that nonsense where it's, where they're talking about, <laughs> you know, winning by like, like the other team isn't trying or that these guys are robots and perfect. And that just because this team isn't as good, like you're you just, help, you know, it's just the nature of the whole sport. You hold that they're being held to a different standard than than every other team that doesn't beat the ever living shit out of every opponent that they play. So, you know, and it's, it's funny you brought up the Jerome Ford thing. And I don't know if it was, if I did the same thing at that time, I think it was later on, maybe they got a stop or something. And I just like, everybody's cheering around me. And I just sat down and I, I probably said it like 20 times to myself. I'm just like, they're going to the playoff. Like yeah. I had to just keep saying it to be like, this is actually happening. And, and I think it's, you know, like you said, the Bengals and, and stuff like that, it, like as bad as they had been in previous years, th- it's still more stunning because we've just been told for so long that it's just not possible. Like the Bengals can play good and no one is going to tell them that they can't go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Where other team, like they could just say like, yep, you see, sorry, we know you had this unbelievable year, but not good enough. Yeah. I mean, and, and I felt bad for the players and I even talked about this uh, on the air and I, I don't remember which player I talked about this with, but it was during that stretch where I said, I could see you guys at times, especially on offense, trying to be too perfect. You know, it just, it felt like at times, boy, if, if they didn't convert on third down or if, you know, they, they had to settle for a field goal, which let's face it usually was missed. <laughs> you could, you could just feel the, the air coming out of the team. And, and that's, that's got to be a really, really hard way to play. And it, it felt to me like the pressure of having to be too perfect was really weighing on those guys. And I remember when they beat Tulane, which came at the end of this momentous day, game days there. It's as a, you know, a closer oh, you did football it. game. You, did it. you can, you confuse Tulane and Tulsa. Oh, Tulsa. I did it's, it. Not the first time. They, it's, they it's, beat Tulsa. it's the biggest AAC thing yeah. ever. Well, I can't wait till then. And we'll get into put that those later. Two, That's all Put my those list. two in the rear view mirror, but they're, I remember watching the, the players after the consecutive goal line stands and there was no joy. And, and I remember, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably pulling back the curtain a little bit too much, but you know, Jim Kelly's down there to talk to Luke fickle for his post game interview. And, and the word, you know, we had gotten was Luke told us guys like, be happy. You won. Oh, you're, yeah. you're not an like, I mean, celebrate. Like, yeah, yeah. Like you should be celebrating this. And so, I, I really hate that to a degree those guys probably didn't enjoy the ride to the fullest extent possible. 
because I'm not sure a lot of fans were. And look, it's I, I get it, man. Had they lost any of those games, it would have been exceptionally deflating. We would have been wondering, God, is is that you know their their best chance ever? Um, but when again, Jerome took it to the house. They go up 35 13, uh, seven plus to go. It, it just felt like all that got washed away. And, you know, now they're, they're going to put it in cruise control and they're, they're going to go to the playoff. Like this is going to happen. They're, they're not going to blow it. I mean, you know, just, it, it would have been, and I remember at halftime thinking like, there's absolutely no way they're losing, right? Like they're, we didn't get to this point. All this stuff didn't fall their way. We didn't just put up with 12 consecutive weeks of this emotional roller coaster to watch this team lose in the second half to Tom Herman. And, you know, and, and what sort of gets washed away now is, you know, that week was so anxiety filled because of Luke Fickle and Notre Dame. Right. right. I mean, I, I, I remember being at Millette Hall for for basketball and I'm sitting there with Dan Horde and I'm, I'm kind of like I'm watching this game, but but I'm also sort of on Marcus Freeman watch and I'm giving him updates. And I remember driving back from Oxford and it was. And it was seeming like this was really going in, in the direction that we all wanted, which was Marcus Freeman to Notre Dame. And and for me, I, I certainly didn't want Luke Fickle to leave, but but I I really didn't want that to get in the way of the game. I didn't want that to 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 have you know even fans have their attention uh, distracted from uh, the the kind of game that they had been waiting forever for, and then for us to get the outcome that we were all rooting for, and and also feeling really happy for Marcus. It, it just ended this incredibly awesome week where a lot of us thought, yeah, great. They're going to be Houston. And then, uh, you know, who knows who's going to be coaching them in the playoff and they're not going to be prepared and all that stuff. And sort of, you know, reimagining 2009, uh, 2010 all over again with the sugar bowl. The fact that we didn't have that clouding uh, everything that was happening on the field was just the best. But, but again, if, if you ask me that the moment in the season um, that I will remember the most, it is, it is, kind of watching the crowd and feeling the stadium and watching the players uh, when they went up 35, 13 against Houston. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely an incredible night, incredible season. And we only have central Florida to thank for it. <laughs> so, but <laughs> I, I can't help it. I, I love it so much. It's a bit, and I don't care. Yeah. But, I, I, I love doing it. Um, so again, Mo Egger joining us as a special co-host tonight. And I'm old enough to remember the last time you had a co-host on your show. Yeah. Uh, did you enjoy it? Did you not do you like doing the solo show more? Uh, you know, just what is that dynamic like when you're doing a talk show versus just like a podcast with, with the co-host? Well, I've done it on my own for so long that um, it's really hard for me to compare. I, I think if, if you're going to do anything with a co-host, for me at least, you have to know that they're as invested in the show as you are. Um, and I think there are there are times in which I know people who one might not feel that way about the other. That doesn't mean you have to have the same opinions or, or the same, you know, ideas on the direction of the show or topics or stuff like that. But I have heard shows and I don't want to say I've been a part of, but I, excuse me, I've, I've heard shows where I could tell one guy, this matters more to him than the other person. Mm -hmm. um, I won't give you the names, but, but there is a, there was a show that was on nationally 
and I know the hosts. And um, the one guy is going off on something, and they're coming up on a break, and he says to his co-host, I'm, I want your thoughts on this when we come back. And I was like, "Let's." I'm hooked. I want to hear what he has to say about yeah. this thing that this other guy has been riffing on. So I stayed to the break. Uh, they come back, and all right, they reset the topic, and the guy says to his co-host, so, so what do you think? And the co-host is like, you know, I, I just really don't care. Something to that. <laughs> and I, I said, I would have launched across the table and punched the guy in the face because you just cut, you just told the audience that what I just, it matters to me is unimportant. Um, I, so there are shows like that. T to me, it's, it's, you know, you, the, the, the show has to matter as much to the other person as it does to you. And there are times when that is the case. I think in our business, there are times when I, I hear shows or I know certain people and I know, um, that that's that that's not necessarily the case. I'm enough of a control freak that I I think if I got to a point where I I basically relinquished half of it would be difficult for me to get used to. Not from an, not necessarily from an egotistical standpoint. It's just this is how I've done it now for for basically 15 years. Um, um, everything's on me. I have to choose all the topics. I have to decide what we're gonna do. I have to sign off on every guest. It's all on me. At the same time, yeah, sometimes it'd be kind of nice to share that responsibility and put it on somebody else. But I really believe to to have a, a two-person show, the, the best ones are the ones in which there are no ego. Uh, there are times in which one is going to shine more than the others, more than the other. There, there are times in which you're going to have to take a back seat, be willing to talk less, uh, be, be willing to let the other person sort of be the be the star, and, and, and vice versa. And, and I, I think that's, in our business, a little bit more difficult than, than people think. Um, but I also look, <clears throat> I, I, there are times where I feel like, you know, let's face it in this day and age, people aren't calling shows as much as they used as, as much as they used to. Good. And so <laughs> you don't have, you know, if it's a person by themselves, especially during a stretch in which they don't have uh, a lot of guests, there are times where I could feel myself going, God, I wish there were someone in here to just change things up right. or provide a different perspective. Um, I think the best two person shows are the ones in which the debate isn't contrived because to me, there's nothing more inauthentic than, Hey, I'll take this side, but then you take this side. Like I, I right. hate those. I've been involved in the production of those. Those are awful. But I, I do think the best ones are the ones in which, you know, the, the two people do have different backgrounds. Maybe it's generational. Maybe it's gender. Maybe it's, uh, you know, just parts of the country, geography, that sort of thing. I, I think those are those are the best shows. I don't think there's nearly enough of them. But but getting it back for me, um, when I did our show with Greg, he came from a background, Greg Doyle who's a great writer, he came from a background that I had no experience in. I, I didn't know anything about journalism. I frankly still don't know that much about journalism. Um, to me, talk radio was about being a fan of the team and giving your opinions. And Greg was, I'm an outsider. I'm a journalist. I have no rooting attachment. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not as ate up with some of this stuff as you might be, Mo, or some of our listeners are. And, and that was, he brought a perspective that I, I didn't have and really hadn't considered and I think that that made me a, a lot better when it came to interviews. He he asked questions like a newspaper reporter. Uh, I remember we had Wayne Krivsky, the Reds GM on, 
And Greg just dragged him all over the floor and he wasn't unfair in doing so. And I'm just sort of sitting there like, holy crap, I'm used to working for the radio partner where we sort of, you know, uh, we don't go in with our fangs to the Reds GM. And Greg came at it from a completely different perspective. And it taught me things like that taught me a lot. Um, it, and I, I, I think I could, I could do a show like that, but at this stage in the game, um, it would take a lot for me. It would, it would take a lot of getting used to for somebody like me. Who's just our, my, my, my habits are, are so that, uh, it would be tough for me to get used to, but, but also the main thing for me would be, Hey, look, this is my profession. This is how I support my family. This, this is not me screwing around on the radio. If you're going to be on the air with me and we're sharing this show, it has to matter to you as much as it matters to me. Uh, and if that's the case, we'll be fine. If not, I don't think it's going to work. Well, I know you listen to a lot of different shows around the country. And uh, so what are, whether it's a solo show like yours or, or a, uh, you know, two man or late two ladies, whatever it might be. What are some of your favorites, regardless of, you know, the locale who they cover just, just shows that you think are entertaining uh, to listen to regardless of the sport or the teams. Petros and money in Los Angeles. And I admittedly, I've, uh, I've listened to those guys uh, for years. Um, Matt money Smith, who you sometimes see on uh, NFL network. He is the voice of the LA chargers and Petros Papadakis who uh, played at USC. Pac 12 after dark. Pac 12 after dark. Well, yeah. Fox <laughs> games. Yeah. Those two, I've been on a kick because I was in Los Angeles for the Super Bowl where I did my show was behind the stage where they ultimately did their show. And for about 45 minutes, I stood there and watched it. Um, and so since then, I've listened to them a lot more. They're afternoon drive in Los Angeles. And, and I'll be completely honest with you. They do, if I were to ever do a two-person show, they do exactly the type of show that I would would like to do. It is... Uh, a sports talk radio show in which sports sort of exists as the backdrop to Petros being uh, just funny as hell and Matt being the absolute perfect straight guy. And, you know, I mean, I've, I've heard them do serious interviews. I listened to them th the day after Kobe Bryant was killed and it was uh, maybe the most poignant four hours of sports talk radio I've ever heard. And here is this show that is typically off the rails in terms of humor and fun and goofiness. And uh, they were, they were unbelievable. They were unbelievable. Um, but as a general rule, they're a little outside the box. They're kind of wacky and they, they're the most entertaining. They're the most entertaining local sports talk, local sports talk radio show in the United States. And, and if I, if I had my way and I could get away with it, that would be, they, those guys do the sort of show I wish uh, we could do to a degree. So I, I think they're, um, I, I think they're the absolute best. There's, there's some hosts I really like. There's, there's a guy in St. Louis by the name of uh, Chris Rabe, who does a lot of Cardinals post game stuff? He's on KMOX. Um, he, he's just lights out. He, he's he's phenomenal. I think uh, I listen to Waddle and Sylvie. Um, obviously, Tom Waddle, who's you know from the Cincinnati area, played for the Bears, has stayed in in Chicago. He's done a, a local show for uh, a really long time. 
Um, there's, uh, I, I listen to Kentucky sports radio, not so much during the basketball off season, but I think like on days after UK plays, first of all, that the callers are immensely entertaining. Oh, it's like, vol, it's like vol calls after yeah. football games. Like, but, you, but I, I think that listen. Yeah. I think the chemistry that Matt Jones has and, and the way he sort of operates as the ringleader is, is really, really good and really, really smart. There's also a show in Philadelphia, uh, John Marks, and and he's had Ike Reese, who played for the Eagles, is like his on-again, off-again co-host. John Marks is insanely talented. He's really good. I like him. Uh, Burns and Gambo in Phoenix. I've been on their show a bunch of times. I don't listen to it as much as I should. Uh, There's also um, Damon, Ratto, and Kolsky, who are in the Bay Area, I I'm a huge Ray Ratto fan because I follow okay, him on yeah. Twitter and he's like, you know, snarky. He, he, as gets, hell. he gets zero, you know what? Correct. So I <laughs> I really I really like. So those are sort of the local guys, just kind of beyond who we have uh, here in town. I used to listen to Lachlan McLean in uh, Louisville a lot, and I think he's back on Sports Talk Radio. I I don't know for sure, but like locally, I I really like those are the guys that for the most part I really like. Um, and there's there's probably a few more, but I I listen to a lot of local sports talk radio. Um, I think it's super interesting, just because, like you said, like you can tell, you know, you listen to enough of it, you can tell when there's really good chemistry and when they, you know, the flow is really good, and it's interesting. Like that's my thing is like I'll listen to about anything if it's if they're talking about interesting stuff, whether it's a team I follow or not. Um, mm-hmm. Because you know you're a sports fan, you're not you know you're obviously a sports fan of certain teams, but you know it's the same thing with like podcasts. They might not talk about my teams, but if I enjoy the topics or I enjoy you know the guys doing it, then it makes it you know an enjoyable time to listen to. Yeah, same here. I mean, it's you know at the end of the day, what we do is about entertainment more than anything else, and and I. I I have thought before that there are people in our business who have lost sight of that. And I think sometimes there are listeners through no faults of their own. They, they don't realize like our, our job is to entertain first and entertain doesn't have to come at the expense of anything, but you know, I mean, that's, that's our job. Our, our job, like, you know, people bag on Stephen A. Smith. Right. And I admit, I don't watch a whole lot of first take with Stephen A. Smith. But at the end of the day, that job, that dude is great at his job. His job is to entertain. And, you know, as a television entertainer, he's really good at what he does. I right. agree with a lot of what he says, but that's that's his job. And and I think sometimes people don't realize, like, we're not journalists. Well, we, you know, we, we can't take personal shots. We can't be unfair. We can't be wildly inaccurate. But our, our job, and, and I fail at it most of the time, but our job is to be entertaining more than anything else. That's what this is. This is this is entertainment. It's It's not you know, sit down and have a, a meet the press style discussion about the state of the Bengals or, you know, uh, dive into the, you know, the, the, the nitty gritty of X's and O's to show how smart we are about football. It's to entertain somebody who's in their car for 22 minutes. And the best ones do that regardless of topic, regardless of what teams they're talking about, regardless of what you think they're think of their opinions. At the end of the day, the job is to entertain. And so th- there have been shows that we've done where, uh, I I didn't think much of the sports content, but I thought, you know what? For somebody in their car for 22 minutes, that was pretty entertaining. And there have been times where I thought, yeah, you know, uh, 
I, I might have said some things about the Reds or the Bearcats or whoever that made sense, but holy hell, that had to be boring. So, um, and, and <laughs> right. that's and, and that's what we do with guests, right? Like, I'm not interested in big names. I'm not interested in wowing you with how deep my Rolodex is. I want to put people on the air that I have good chemistry with. I want to put. That's why I mean, Chad's on with me all the time. Why? A. Chad has opinions. B. I have good chemistry with Chad. Like, I can go back and forth with him. I can make fun of him. He can poke at me. That's. That's what that's what we're supposed to do. It's why I have Paul Daner Jr. on the show all the time. I, I I put people on because you know they're entertaining, they're smart, and I, I can develop chemistry with them. That is more important than anything else. If you told me um a podcaster A or radio host A is gonna get Joe Burrow on and he doesn't really have a relationship with Joe Burrow, but then there's these other two guys who have great chemistry and they're entertaining as hell. And they're going to talk about Joe Burrow. I'd rather listen to that any day of the week. For sure. For sure. So we'll, we'll use this as an opportunity to timestamp. And I don't have the ad reads in front of me. But, uh, you know, our great sponsor, <laughs> Urban Artifact, has been sending beer to Aaron and Brent of the BBP podcast. And Chad was able to get down there and pick some up. I have still not been able to. So I need to make that a priority. But, uh, to get down to Urban Artifact and get get my my beers and my fruit tarts, and I have been there as part of a beer bus tour. Have you been to Urban Artifact, Mo? My uh, sister just moved to maybe two blocks away oh. from Urban Artifact. So you're going to be and hanging out at your sister's more often, is what you're well, saying. Well, we just we just we just moved her in two weeks ago, and uh, I got done and said. All right. Well, now you're taking me to Urban Artifacts. So that's, <laughs> this is this that's is your we this is your payment for me. Yeah, helping and you like move. and like uh, tarts and sours. That's kind of what they do. And, and right. those aren't my favorite beers, but as a general rule, that stuff is pretty solid. So yeah. Oh yeah, I've, I've, and they've yeah. got they've got a lot a lot to choose from, and mm-hmm. and the the guys have been sampling them on all the podcasts, and the reviews have been great. So if you're if that's your thing, head on out there and and check them out. I know they'll be they'll be happy to to have you. So. We kind of t- we went back a little bit. Now I want to kind of go forward. Nine guys in the draft, thirteen and one, conference champs, college football playoff, and now we are, you know, sixty days, something like that, sixty-five mm-hmm. days from uh, Arkansas. So, I mean, I know what the obvious answer is, but what are your, <laughs> you know, your biggest storylines? Hey, into this 2022 football season. Well, the obvious one is going to be Prater versus Bryant, <clears throat> but I think once the season begins, I'm really interested in how long the leash is going to be for either because, you know, we saw it with, with Luke and Dez, and at times it drove me nuts. He was unflinchingly loyal, uh, Coach Fickle was. I just called him Coach Fickle. Luke Fickle was to uh, <laughs> to Desmond Ritter. I mean, there, there I remember sitting there. Yeah. Coach Fickle. That's that's one um, too. Like yeah. Um, <laughs> the the uh, the Sauce Gardner pick against uh, ECU does was miserable in the first half, and I remember kind of going, "Can we try Ben Bryant? Can we just see if anybody else can play quarterback?" Um, and look, it paid off, man. I mean, it, it paid off immensely. But um, is is that going to be the rule moving forward with Ben or with Evan? Um, and and maybe there's no reason for Luke to ever look back, but at the first time at the first sign of adversity like you know all right he goes with ben who's the more experienced guy 
the odds on favor going into fall camp. He goes with Ben, but he's got Bryant. Uh, he's got Prater waiting in the wings. Who's been a part of the program. Um, you know, highly touted recruit. What does that mean for, for Ben the first time he gets into trouble or plays poorly? And then, you know, for Evan, it's all right. If, uh, Hey, the, the inexperience is catching up to us. And I got this other guy who has started FBS games and he's got a good arm and, you know, has been in our system. You know what? I'm, I'm going to pull the, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how, how that unfolds. Um, I just think that the creativity with the run game this year, because there's no excuse to kind of bottle things up from an offensive play calling standpoint. And I am the first person to roll my eyes when people start losing their minds over play calling. But even I would be the first to admit, it felt like at times uh, the offensive playbook only included like three running plays. Right. And with the talent they have and Gino now in the capacity that he's in and, you know, the the growing pains they're likely to experience at quarterback, are they going to open it up running the football? Um, and if the answer is yes, you know, this offense can really take off. They have one of the best, you know, backfields in, in the country. You're replacing NFL guys in the secondary. How does that look? And, and we could talk about all the different, you know, individual players, but I mean, at the end of the day, look at what they're replacing. And, and this is, you know, this is what big boy football programs do now, right? Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're going you're gonna to lose a haul. What do you replace them with without skipping a beat? There's not skipping a beat. But then um, I have to readjust myself to what it's like to watch teams try to throw to both sides of the field. We, yeah. we didn't, you know, that's going to just, that's going to be different, right? I mean, here you had a guy in which, you know, in sauce, and I've talked about it a bunch, you'd, you'd watch him and his body language would, would never change. You know, Chad has said this before. At the end of the year, they were inventing stuff for him to do. Because teams were just saying, we're not throwing his way. Well, um, ain't going to be that way for a while. And then when the kicker comes out onto the field, are they going to get points more often than not? Because, um, and I know this hasn't been the case. Sam Crosa was a good kicker, but it, it's it's just felt like that's been rickety for a very long time. The whole kicking operation has been kind of rickety for a, a, a very long time. And And, you know, I mean, look, last year, uh, fortunately games never really came down to a field goal, but uh, that wasn't the case the year prior in the AAC title game. And so, um, are we going to be holding our breath every time there's a, a field goal, uh, try this year? And, and then I, I, I guess, because we've talked so much about the NFL, like are, are Lenny Taylor and Josh Wiley going to turn themselves into the sort of draft prospects that fit in the conversation with many of the guys we just talked about. I'm not talking about going, you know, fourth overall or anything like sauce. But I mean, those are NFL tight ends. Josh last year had a little bit of an underwhelming season, mostly a byproduct of they just had a lot of guys in the offense. But, you know, this is really a time for those guys to shine and perfect security blankets for the relative inexperience they they have at quarterback. And those guys, I think, you know, just athletically have such high ceilings. And so, do they become the sort of focal point in the offense that we kind of reignite NFL draft talk for those two players? For sure. I think for me, the thing that makes the quarterback competition so interesting is that the expectation is still to win the league. As it should be. Right. If it wasn't, then, you know, not saying it wouldn't be as important, but like you said, if, so, if whoever wins it gets off to a slow start, but they're still winning games. Will a move be made? 
or if they lose the game early, will a move be made? Because let's face it, like they still have enough talent roster wise to win the conference. Mm-hmm. So how does that play into not necessarily who wins the quarterback job, but how it progresses throughout the season? Because I think whoever plays the best <clears throat> at higher ground and in the spring and is going to win the job. Mm-hmm. But when you're still playing for a conference championship, depending on how close it was, that leash could be incredibly short, depending on what, how the results go. Yeah, I, I tried to write about this. I don't think I did a very good job. But, you know, the, the Evan Prater thing, why I'm intrigued about him being the quarterback this year is I I think this year's team is better than the 2018 squad, which nothing against that bunch. 11 wins, one at the Rose Bowl, won a bowl game. But that year, you know, you, you kind of felt like at times they were winning in spite of the inexperience and the throwing limitations of Des Ritter. Yeah, that was Mike um, Warren in a really good defense. The truck in a really good defense, right? So, but the experience he gained that season was invaluable, right? And I think there was a payoff down the road. He gained a lot of experience while his teammates were winning games with him. And yet, you know, Des had his moments during that season. Don't don't get me wrong. But, I mean, the team was winning games. Des was gaining experience. The experience paid off down the road. I think it's intriguing, and I know it's different this year because they're going to go to Arkansas on the road, seven-and-a-half-point dog. You want to be in the best possible position to win that game, and there's a very strong chance Ben Bryant on the field represents a better chance of winning that game. But is this team good enough to compete for a league title while the quarterback gains experience? And and at times, is the team going to have to win games in spite of what the quarterback can't do? But then could there be a payoff down the road where Evan uses what he learned this year and it pays off and he's, you know, one of the best quarterbacks maybe in the Big 12. But it doesn't come at the expense of the short term. And so that's why I'm intrigued by Evan Prater. I I feel like this team can still win with him not being great. I think they're good enough. But I also know, I mean, like, everybody wants to go to Fayetteville and win week one, right? And if they do... You and I both know we're going to start going down that schedule going, well, who are they going to lose to? Right. And so are you really going to go on the road and win against an SEC squad that's going to be ranked with a guy who's never started a game before? At the same time, what if what if this team is good enough to figure out a way to eke out a win and Evan's there and and he just sort of spends the season accumulating reps and experience and – the team goes on this magical run and then think about how good this guy could be in a couple of years. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm doing a very uh, poor job of articulating this, but that's, that's why I'm, 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 I'm really intrigued by the possibility of, of, of Evan being the guy, because I think this team is good enough to win with him. Well, kind of being an accessory. If, if and that's the thing, if, when you, that's a fair way of putting it. When you compare, I think it's very fair. When you compare them to 2018, you're, you're putting Evan into a situation or Ben with, of yes, Jerome Ford, big loss, but a stable of running backs. Mm-hmm. You're returning all five starters on the offensive line. You have two NFL-type tight ends. Yes, you lose Alec Pierce and Michael Young, but you are returning a lot of talent at the wide receiver position. And a lot of times we hear, like, is the quarterback an elevator? Does he elevate the team? Well, couldn't the team elevate the quarterback in this case? Like – 
how much easier is it for Evan Prater or Ben to throw the ball when you have a, the best offensive line in the conference and a Corey Kiner, a Ryan Montgomery, an Ethan mm-hmm. Wright, a Chuck Moore? Like, how are you – like, and we're still playing American Athletic Conference teams. None of these defenses are going to be worth a <laughs> shit. Let's be real. So, like, we're – like they're going to bully ball dudes. And so what are what are the throws like now when the other teams know that hey, they've got this younger quarterback, so they're going to run it. Mm-hmm. But they can't stop the run and now everybody on the outside is in single coverage and you still got these two tight ends that no one can cover and I mean and then Evans running ability is a is an insane mismatch. Um all that said, I feel like I kind of know how Luke and his mind yeah. works and it's we're going to be good enough don't give the other team chances to do stuff that a veteran quarterback typically wouldn't do and so mm-hmm. that uh, that is why again we haven't seen a single practice we're not at fall camp like that's why i think it would he would start with ben because he looks at it as if we just don't screw up we're going to beat pretty much everybody we play and that is the end goal for him in, in you know, being the head coach. And that's fine. Um, ben didn't come back here to back up Evan Prater, and they didn't have him come back come back here to to just, you know, have him be the backup, right? And and so, you know, there's, there's going to be a competition. But, yeah, I mean, if we were to wager an amount of money that mattered to us, is Ben Bryant going to be the guy? We would both say yes. But, but, again, I mean, I think in a lot of situations you would say, all right, Ben's going to be the guy, but I mean, you know, you're going to see some Evan this year. And I think people are going to default to that. I know Tony Pike has talked about that. Are we sure? Are we sure I, I that's going to be mean, the case? If, if, if Dez played the, like played the way he did two years ago, like at home against South Florida and yeah. in, in other games and he didn't get pulled, you think that they're going to pull Ben Bryant for a guy that's never played? Right. Yeah, exactly. So Luke's track record is, I stick with my guy. Don't care what you guys are saying. Don't even care what some of the coaches are saying. This is my guy. So that's going to be really interesting. I mean, you know, again, Evan Prater is maybe the most highly talked about recruit in the history of this program. And I mean, you know, through throughout the course of last season, you know, there are a lot of folks who just sort of thought, okay, well, the, the unfortunate thing of not like blowing out Navy and Tulane is Evan's not getting some of the reps we thought he could get that could get him ready for next year. And now maybe he's not going to be the guy until 2023. That that to me, you know, yes, it, Prater versus Evan in August, certainly interesting. But if you assume it's going to be Ben or if you think it's going to be Ben, but you believe at some point, yeah, we'll see Prater a bit this year. I wouldn't bet on that. I, I right. based on Luke Fickle's track record, I, I, I don't think that that's necessarily going to be the case. I would like, I would like them. You know, Brian gets the gig. They beat Arkansas, and then you know they spent a lot of time against Kennesaw State and Miami, um, in a position where they could play Evan Prater and give him some really meaningful reps because this program's history with having to play the other guy at quarterback is so extensive that you would like to see him be a little bit more prepared. If, if Brian's the guy you would like to see Prater be a little bit more prepared to play if needed. Um, 
but yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I, I think if if Ben Bryant's the guy week one, barring something unforeseen or barring an injury, he's probably gonna be the guy all the way through. And you know, I this is a, this is just me talking, thinking out loud, and this has not come from anybody. But if they felt Evan was ready to be the quarterback, they could have gotten some other transfer mm-hmm. under the under the full impression that you're the backup. And they didn't. They went and got a guy that they knew who left to be a starter, had a pretty good year as a starter, and then still decided to come back. Now, he didn't come back because he was told he was going to be a starter. It's, it's a competition. But they chose to go that route instead of just saying, Evan, you're going to be the quarterback, or we're going to have a competition. But the competition is going to be with this senior who has sat on the bench at Michigan State right. his entire career, and now we're going to bring him in. And, yeah, it's a competition, but it's not really. And we would all know that it's not really, and that's not what happened. So that, to me, kind of also plays into their thinking of the overall room as a whole and how they see it going forward for this year specifically. I guess what I would want to know then is, is why didn't Ben Bryant give Evan Prater the key to his apartment in, in, uh, in, uh, where, where is East, uh, Eastern Michigan uh, is Ypsilanti? Uh, Ypsilanti maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Like why, why couldn't they send Evan down to the farm team and have him play in the Mac for a year and <laughs> yeah. then he comes back. He comes and, back and, too. In 2020, that you know, just sort of do that every year, right? Like, all right, whoever the Bearcat quarterback in the year is going to be, he goes to designate he, him for assignment. Yeah, he goes to EMU and he, he plays for a year and well, you know, I whatever. Those I mean, guys would would be very happy to do that. No, no, no. <laughs> but I mean, that that to me would just you know be be bringing the whole thing uh, uh, full yeah. circle. Cryptkeeper asks if Ben starts, does Evan stay? I mean, in the transfer age it's an impossible thing to answer. I mean, mm-hmm. does anybody stay if they don't start? Like, it's not just an Evan thing because he was is a quarterback or a highly rated player. Like, there's almost a thousand dudes that are transferring for any number of reasons. So it's, I, I think the, I can't I think really the answer, say yes or no. Yeah. It just depends. Like, you know. I guarantee you this. When Luke Fickle makes his decision, he ain't going to make it out of fear that Evan Prater is going to leave. No. I mean, I, I, I think – that's well established. No, he's coming right? off of a trip to the CFP. He's making it based on how do we can now granted we might not have the same record and have the same end of the season results, but how do we continue to build off of what we did? He don't give a rip about no. what some individual player thinks about who he's starting and who who he isn't. Yeah. I mean it's it's the next it's it's naturally the next question for you and I to ask and for all of us to ask like all right what's Evan going to do especially as you said in this day and age and and I'll be paying very close attention to that but I guarantee you when Luke makes the decision with whoever he makes the decision with it ain't going to be well, God, if we don't make Evan the guy, what's he, what's he gonna? He ain't gonna care. He's, um, he's too busy worried about beating this team, not right, trying to guess right. what some eighteen, nineteen-year-old's gonna do three months from now or whatever. You know. So, but I, but I do believe there are coaches who are not as secure either oh, emotionally or just contractually and financially well, I mean, as Luke Fickle. Think about that, it as like if they start the young guy, it almost like buys them. You know, if they're on the hot seat, oh, I'm gonna start this. Yeah. This yeah. four-star, five-star guy, I know there's going to be growing pains. 
but it's going to buy me a year because if he flashes anything, everyone's going to go see he's good. Mm-hmm. Like, like let's give him more time to, you know, as the coach, we don't want to give him a new offensive coordinator and a new coaching staff. So absolutely coaches do that. Yeah. Yeah. This one ain't. So <laughs> <laughs> he's about as, about as secure in his position as, as you know, him, uh, Nick Saban, Ryan Day, like those mm-hmm. those guys are not doing doing those things because they they've earned it. They don't need to. Um, Absolutely. Defensively, you brought up the secondary. I think we need to. Chad and I talked about this. There needs to be like a flashing on the scoreboard when we go into the stadium. Like this team might throw for three hundred yards. Prepare yourself because like I don't know how fans are going to react when like they give up a passing touchdown or like. Someone gets beat on it. Like, that's the thing that's just crazy to me is that we always talk about the sauce gardener stat of, you know, no touchdowns, you know, it's, it's better to throw it in the dirt than to throw it at him. But like, tell me the last time another team just dropped back, chucked it over our heads, like 70 yard touchdown. Yeah. And it it just doesn't happen. happen. And it's going to happen. It's like, I mean, I guess we can say it doesn't have to happen but the likelihood is that it happens and that's yeah. just a wild thing about it like they've been first or second in defensive pass efficiency in the last two years and all those guys are gone now these other guys might be great too but we just don't know and teams aren't going to be afraid they're not gonna what was that the athletic article we just put some slap dick over on yes. on sauce. like I, I lost it because I'm like that's exactly what I, I don't know which team it was but like that's exactly what half these teams did just put some jag over there and make occupy sauce gardener and we'll try to complete some passes on this side like that's not going to happen anymore they can actually use the entire football field I mean yeah you know we talked about this a little bit before uh I just I I got used to training my eyes to the opposite end of the field because that's usually where Sauce Gardner wasn't knowing the ball is going to go there. I mean, it was it was it was uncanny. I mean, and and at times I'm like, God, if I'm a fan of the other team, let let's just can we just try it? You know, let's let's just if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But you know, I mean, hell, we're we're you know usually underdogs. We're we're not expected to beat this team. Like, screw it. We're especially if sauce is on our best guy, like I'm, I'm not letting this team take away my primary option. And, and yet that would happen. Um, yeah. We're going to see like when we did the SMU preview, I was like, there is no way that they are not going to challenge him. They've got too many good receivers. They've got, this is their offense. And they didn't, I was like, yeah. you're just admitting defeat. Like you're not even, maybe, maybe he picks two balls off and runs one back for a touchdown. But like, as, as, as me, and if I was, I'd at least give it a damn shot. Like, I'd at least feel like I'm confident enough in my ability as a coach and my players' ability to, like, try something. Right. Yeah, and that that didn't happen. So, yeah, we're going to see stuff like, you know, busted coverages and one-on-one matchups, one that we have really gotten used to to not seeing. And that's, that's going to take some getting used to along with all the names that aren't Arquan Bush. But you know, again, you know, this is this is what big boy programs do. They withstand losses and they figure it out. And and maybe they do it through more advanced schematics. Maybe they do it through depth. Maybe 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 they, now they do it through the portal. But that's that's what that's what big boy consistent programs do. And and so, you know, we'll see if if this staff is is up to the task. But yeah, I mean. There, there's going to be a time and hell it could come very early in week one where you see something happen in the secondary 
that reminds you more of like Wesley Richardson than uh, <laughs> than uh, than than anything we saw from this uh, this group of of DBs over the last few years. Yeah, I mean they just like they didn't make a mistake. Nothing, well, nothing course, against West, right? But, I know. mean, but if they didn't make a mistake, the other team wasn't good enough to capitalize on it. Like, right? There just weren't those those situations and so you know it's going to take some getting used to and maybe these guys are are awesome and maybe arquan and javon hicks are able to like boost the the new guys but like you just have to be realistic that it, it's not going to look like it did um taking the quarterbacks out of it are there any specific players that you're you're interested to see their impact whether they're a newcomer or someone whose role is getting elevated kind of because of everything that happened last year I'm a huge Ryan Montgomery guy. And so, yeah, the focus is going to be on Corey Kiner. I, it, you know, Jerome Ford was, was drafted in the NFL and is responsible for uh, some of the greatest uh, rushing moments in this, this school's history. But I mean, th- there were times where I would go, okay, rush Jerome Ford up the middle or let's uh, try Ryan Montgomery wide. And, you know, we talked about the expansion of the running game and, and just, you know, his role, and especially with the addition of Corey Kiner, um, you know, Ryan, to me, looks like a guy who could be an all-league back if they use him the right way. And so I think from an offensive perspective, I I would I would start there. And and just because they're, they're going to have to be a little bit more of a run-centric team, and, you know, it's kind of the same blueprint, right? Go and get a, a transfer from an SEC school. So they had Jerome Ford, and now they have Corey Kiner, but um, I'm a big Ryan Montgomery guy. So, and I, I just, I feel like if used properly, there were dimensions they could have tapped into specifically with him last season. Yeah. You know, we're, we're nitpicking about a team that went 13 and 0, but they could have tapped into <laughs> last year that we didn't see. And I hope we see them this season. And that's what I always joked about last year. It's like, we're nitpicking on a 13 and 0 team. They had a top 25 scoring offense, top 25 total offense, like yeah. top 25 yards per attempt passer, rushing touchdowns. and The, the kicking game. The kicking yeah. game sucked, right? But I, so, do, but I do agree, and it's not necessarily the player, but like, and I think Gino's even maybe alluded to it. Like, I felt, I won't say one-dimensional, but like Chuck McClellan, you didn't see a ton from him. Mm-hmm. Trey Tucker, more screen game, more quick game, more jet sweep stuff. Um, more screen game to the running backs, I feel like could be something that boosts the quarterback play as an extension of the running game. You know, we started to see it a little bit more towards the end of the year was they just basically didn't do anything outside. And then you would see like where they take the snap and do like the immediate quick pitch. And like in college, that's like a guaranteed six yards. You know, if you get, if you catch one block. So I'm looking to see more variation from the run game and I think everybody can have their place in it. I'm, I'm interested to see where Miles Montgomery slides in because what I've seen and what I've heard is that he is he's the real deal and can definitely challenge for some carries this year, even in a loaded backfield. Is I mean, Charles McClellan is their guy this season that when opposing fans watch him, they'll say, like, he's been playing for them since 2006. Yeah, like he's like the Desmond Ritter, Clayton Toon. <laughs> right. Clayton like, Toon is still Houston's quarterback. I mean, like when, when they played Louisville, Louisville every year, they had Josh Chichester. Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I literally felt like I've watched him play against UC nine times. Uh, you know, every school has that guy. I think Charles is, is UC's. Yeah. Because he's had the injuries and mm-hmm. the COVID year. Like I, 
for all I know, he maybe has another year of eligibility left. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, uh, I just, I, again, I keep talking about it. When Ryan Coe is on the field, are they getting points more often than dude, not? Right? Dude, he's got a leg. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I mean, that was to me, I was standing with Tony Pike at the uh, closed spring game scrimmage thingy. And I'm like, I, I kind of like pretended that I was leaving. He's like, where are you going? I'm like, I see three made kicks. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I saw three made kicks. Last year kind of played right into my philosophy of no kicks. So <laughs> exactly. I, I, you know, I, I, I would not kick extra points. I would not kick field yeah. goals and I would very rarely punt. You know, that's also probably why I'm sitting here and you know, among other reasons, <laughs> not, not coaching football that, that worked really well for that guy that tried to do it at Presbyterian and got his doors blown <laughs> off. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, like I was just like, great. The kicker sticks. That just means we can go for it and score <laughs> touchdowns. <laughs> Yeah, I I just I mean there's but then I gotta give Cole credit. He he scored the only points in the damn cotton bowl and and, and played well. So Yeah, yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, but, hey, you know, Bama's done that way worse <laughs> to way more teams. So no doubt, no doubt about it. But uh let's keep it spinning forward and just I I, I say this half jokingly, but also half serious. Is there actually anything you will miss about the AAC? Oof. Like New Orleans. That's something. I like I like the, the trip to I do not, I will not miss Tulane's football stadium. It, um it's it's a very nice high school football stadium. I, I think it, it, it's it's remarkable how new it is and what it cost and, and then what it turned out to how be. How underwhelming it is. Yeah. I mean, it is as rinky dink. It's, you know, it's not some structure that was built in 1972. It's, I think it's been built in the last 10 years. It's awful. Um, no. Will you miss the, was it the Tulsa or the Greenville Taco Bell? Oh my God. Uh, the Tulsa was Taco Bell and Greenville was the restaurant bar at the hotel next to the hotel, the football team stays in. And it was the hotel this year that the basketball team stayed in. And there's, there's just, there's, there's nothing else there. I'm, I'm literally trying to think of, so, you know, when you go to like the standings page at ESPN.com, yeah. you never have to scroll down. Right. The AAC is first. Right, so it's you're first it's always right there. No, there's, there's nothing I'm going to miss about the so AAC. You're not going to miss like 11 a.m. basketball tip-offs at South Florida on ESPN 9. Didn't and it feel like, and they did this year because it, it, it occurred right before the AFC championship game, did it always feel like invariably, no matter what, they're playing at ECU at noon on a Sunday? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think uh, the thing uh, I will maybe miss the least is just the shitty basketball schedule of – Thursday of Thursday, Sunday. Like, yeah, you just don't get Saturday games in that conference. And that was just like, who, like, honestly, like you want to go to a, a basketball game at six o'clock on a Sunday night. Yeah. You know, stuff yeah. like that or noon on a Sunday. Like, well, and the thing is like, you bring the best of it with you. Like there's, there's a little rivalry with UC and UCF, which is healthy. And Houston's basketball program right now is great. And Kelvin Sampson's a polarizing figure. And so, you still get the best parts that you have right now. They, you just bring them with you to the big 12. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not like, 
you know, the dissolution of the Big East. You're like, man, that's the end of this rivalry. Like UC and Louisville aren't going to play anymore. Like, you know, we've, we've got a little thing now with UCF. That's great. Let's do it. It can continue. And as much as I haven't enjoyed the, uh, twice and sometimes three times a year drubbings from Houston in recent years, like, you know, that's, I mean, that might be the number one team in the country to start the season this year. So powerful basketball program. So you still get to keep them. No, there's, I, I honestly can't think of anything, um, that I am legitimately going to miss about the AAC, the 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 conference title game being on campus, yeah, was kind of cool last year because was it was definitely cool. That was cool, and that's not a thing in the Big Twelve, correct? Correct. Okay, it's so it's in Dallas. I've always thought those are cool because you're you're almost guaranteed an atmosphere. Um, that's cool. I've, I, and even when they played in Memphis, um, I like that. There you right. go. I, oh, I, yeah. I had an answer for you. I like, I like that. Do you um, think that like when major league baseball players are on their retirement tour that like they'll present Luke with gifts as, as he comes into their stadiums, like, well, will ECU erect a statue of him like hanging from you know the rafters? Like, will they, will they give him rocking chairs and golf clubs and things like that, thanking him for leaving and stopping kicking their ass all the time? Or will the Bearcats leave parting gifts like you know in some of those places where it's like, man, we don't have to come back here again, and so they they leave some sort of parting gift. I mean, yeah. you know, you just think of all the football games. I mean, you know, they've. They've, they when they go to Temple, they play in the Lincoln Financial Field. There's 1,200 people oh there. Don't I mean uh, like all these things you're saying? I'm just like, oh my god, they had to do this for like almost 10 years. Yeah, I South mean South Florida, like Tulsa. Oh my god, uh, Tulsa just. Uh, uh, and this uh, is the this whole experience only strengthens the whole my idea that like don't tell me that it's it's not hard to get up for games when you're walking into these stadiums with just a total sterile atmosphere. No, Navy doesn't even play music before the games. Mm -hmm. Like don't tell me that this team that's trying to go undefeated and has such higher expectation. And that's the thing about the big 12 that has me so fired up. And I think I said it like the very first podcast we did when it was like going to happen. I was like, it finally fucking matters. Like, Mm-hmm. All of these teams might not be good, but they give a shit. Yeah, they matter, right? I mean, they well, Kansas football maybe not, but I mean they 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 matter. They um, care, like they care whether they're yes. good or bad. They care, right? And it, it just, I mean, you know, and, and we're talking about like a lot of like college towns. Like, I mean, Greenville, North Carolina, basically revolves that's around that's- ECU, and nobody cares. Um, I, I'm not really gonna miss anything beyond the conference title game being on campus. I I can't think, I can't think of a venue where I'm like, God, it was, you know, kind of cool to go there. I mean, look, I, I think the Naval Academy is a special place, um, but I'm not really going to miss playing in that stadium. I'm not really going to miss trips to, to uh, Annapolis. Uh, I, I really can't, I got to call a game at Wichita state this year, which was cool. I'm, I'm glad I got to do that. The place was, I mean, Wichita State was bad. This is, and okay, it's funny you bring that up. And this is, mm-hmm. I don't want to derail it too much, but just talking about them, do you think they regret joining the American? Feels like it. Yeah. I mean, I it mean, feels we like we never they lost there. Yeah. 
You're right. Never did. I mean, that was I mean, that was a big storyline. We might this year. <laughs> who, you know, who knows? But like, right. they've never lost there. And for a team yeah. that ran the Missouri Valley, we went through three coaches and never and have never lost there. I mean, as as a member of the Missouri Valley Conference, they played in one of the best college basketball games this century yeah, against Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah, you know, I mean, they made a Final Four. Uh, I'm sure they do. Um, I'm sure they do. So and now, how yeah, much I'm do just, they even more so that UC and Houston are leaving? Yeah, I, I'm I'm literally like rolling through all the schools trying to figure out like, all right, what venue? Never getting anything good about any of these places. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm like look I'm I'm looking Memphis, at last... Memphis is a fun trip. Memphis Memphis is a fun trip, and if if you go for basketball, you you get the NBA arena, which is cool. The yep. Liberty Bowl is uh, yeah. Good. Um, and the, the town itself is fine. Um, but I mean the the stadium is you know not really close to yeah more so you know, for basketball because the arena is right on Beal and but even that they ruined with the floor. Oh no, the new floor this year. Oh, they have a new floor. Well, yeah. Okay. All right. So that's... one one last hurrah of not, you know, knowing if you're on concrete or the skyline or who knows what is going on down there. All right. Well, okay. I'll 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 grant you that. I guess. <laughs> and you get to you get to see Penny one more time. Yeah. Um. Well, beyond that, again, I we're, I, we're I, really we're really digging, aren't we? Like that's that's when you know, like it's how bad it is when we're like trying to just make crap up. Well, I, I, I believe in um, highlighting everybody's redeeming features. And so I'm trying to do that in the American athletic conference, which is a league that served its purpose. Right. I mean, it's um, it, it was, it was born out of just a bunch of sort of homeless um, athletic departments that needed a place to play needed schools to play against on a regular basis. And so the American athletic conference was birthed. Um no, I got I got nothing for you beyond I like New Orleans. Um uh, the conference title game being played on campus. Navy was cool to to experience. And more. I have a ton of respect for the US Naval Academy. Yes. And so to to visit that campus is is neat. But beyond that, man, there's ain't nothing else. Well, fair enough. Um so let's flip it. What are you most looking forward to about being in the Big Twelve? Um Making a pilgrimage to Fog Island Fog Fieldhouse. Island. Yeah. I feel like that's, yeah. you know, you kind of, everybody's, I know Chad and I have talked about trying to just figuring out a way the first game, getting out there. and Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. the very first, and, and I just, look, from a basketball perspective, that's going to be insanely fun. It's, Wes has a lot of work to do, but mm-hmm. I mean. But it's, but that's what makes it fun is like, yeah, look, uh, those Big East days when Connecticut would come in and Syracuse would come in and there was a number next to their name and sometimes even Georgetown and Villanova, West Virginia, like even when Mick was getting the program back to where he ultimately got it, there was there was something special about that. Those games were events. You know, there were big-time players, big-time coaches, college basketball programs that mattered. And you're going to have that. And and that, that really excites me. And, and, you know, again, I mean, you're going to probably take some beatings, especially early, but that, that really excites me. I think more than anything, no longer having to feel like you have to apologize for something that's beyond your favorite programs control, right? 
they didn't want to be in the American Athletic Conference. They did the best they could. They made it work. Um, they enjoyed some tremendous highs athletically in the American Athletic Conference. Um, Mick Cronin had some unbelievably good teams in the American Athletic Conference, what Luke Fickle has done in the American Athletic Conference. But the league has always been a liability. Every year on Selection Sunday, you knew there was a ceiling as to what number was going to be next to their name because of the league. You knew they were going to have to be dominant to have any chance to have a favorable seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, in 2016, I think 2017, when they started the the early bracket reveal and the cats had a really good team that season. And they released like the, the first four seeds in each, each region as of that day. And Cincinnati's name was not on the screen. That was a direct indictment against the American athletic conference. You knew that no matter what that league was going to hold you back. And obviously the, the league in football was a liability. What I look forward to maybe more than anything is now the league is going to be an asset. And that's obviously financial. That's from a prestigious standpoint. It's from a competitiveness standpoint. There are going to be times in, in, in both major sports in which, okay, the league is not as good in a given year, but, but you kind of go, okay, it's cyclical. Um, it really wasn't cyclical in the American. It just, the league wasn't good. Right. right. And, and, it, not- and it was, and it was a liability. I am looking forward to more than anything as a general rule the league being an asset instead of a liability to the two major programs. And I'm sure many of the other ones as well. You're not fearful anymore of going on the road and someone 250 in the RPI catching a hot shooting night. Yeah. And tanking your season in one, you know, 40 minute night that like, you're just, once you get in the conference playing the big 12, like, yeah, you might lose a shit ton of games. But any win is a good win, and there's no, there's really no bad losses. Yeah, I mean, to that, a degree, from a bad. That if you're in the bubble scenario, that are going to just automatically like, nope, can't possibly make it now. I I think it was the first year of the net rankings, uh, or 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 maybe we were still doing RPI, but like 2016, which was a year in which they they got in and they got in pretty comfortably. It's the year they lost to St. Joe's. Um, Octavius Ellis came just late. Right. And, and, and all year long, it kind of felt like they were sort of living dangerously and it's hard to go on the road sometimes. And, you know, late January in college basketball and there's 2,200 people in the gym and, and you would look at the schedule and you're like, all right, here are the games that they just, they cannot afford a slip up. You cannot afford a bad shooting night. And, you know, I mean, even to a degree here in town, you, you kind of watch, um, Xavier try to navigate life in the big East and, rather unsuccessfully in recent years, but it, it, you never thought, God, the, the, the schedule works against him. The, the schedule's a liability. Boy, that must be so nice where here's all these chances for good wins. And, and again, in recent years, they didn't get enough, but here's all these chances for good wins. But God, you know what? Once they get to league play, not a whole lot of bad losses as long as they can avoid just, you know, a huge five or six game losing streak. And with UC, I mean, you know, go back to the last year that they might've made it 2020, John Brandon's first year. I mean, that season, you spent more time looking at the metrics of the the crappier schools in the league because of how it would work against them if they happen to play poorly than you did actually watching basketball. And in the Big 12, again, the league is going to be an asset in this conference, the AAC. It's, it's been a liability. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to the, uh, the end of that era. I am too. It's, uh, it's just 
uh, just a touch more than a year away. And we can. Uh, <laughs> we don't have to. That's Chad and I think talked about it maybe last week. We we talked about how like how hard will this football season be hard to like care about the other AAC games that you know impact the Bearcats like you know paying attention to you know Houston Temple or Houston Tulane something like that when we're just like oh we we're just so done we don't care. Well, and and the weird thing would be, and I say this from the standpoint of doing a, a, a scoreboard show during football broadcast where you're <laughs> like, God, this is the only, the, this is the only game in the league happening today because there was one on Thursday. There were two on Friday. Friday. I mean, you know, just <laughs> three, teams, all over three the- teams are off. Yeah. <laughs> like it was just, there was no rhythm to the, the conference schedule. And, you know, again, like UC and UCF have developed a, a little bit of a, of a rivalry. I, I, I think it's a little bit more fan driven, but, you know, I, the, the the stopover in this league always felt temporary, so real rivalries were never going to emerge, and there was no built-in history. Uh, now they're in the Big 12 for the long haul, and rivalries and series will emerge, and, and they'll happen organically, right? They don't they don't need to do a R- River City rivalry thing where they invent a trophy or a, a, a Bob Diaco thing like UCF and, and UConn where they tried to invent a trophy like those things will just naturally unfold and, and it'll be fun uh, for that to happen because I think specifically in football and, you know, I remember thinking, God, you see in Wichita state could have a little bit of a rivalry and they had some, you know, pretty memorable games, won the conference regular season title there uh, at the end of the 18 season. But they, those things never really happened in this league and they will happen. And, and who knows with, but I mean, it, it, you're, you're, rivalries occur. Coaches have a distaste for each other. There's head-to-head recruiting battles. There's hotly contested games. I mean, there's, they will happen. And I look forward to, to, to the return of that because we've, we've missed that specifically in football. We've, we've missed that for a while. Right. I mean, it sounds like according to the BYU AD, the big 12 is at least going to start with the nine game conference schedule. I'm very happy to hear that. Um, do you, I don't know how much thought you've given to it. Do you, you know, what, what do you prefer? Like three, three crossovers where you are able to build those rivalries or I know some people have said, just do one because the value isn't there for, to do more from an entertainment or TV standpoint. I kind of like three because we do need to build rivalries because we had none in the American basically. So, it, you know, West Virginia and UCF would make sense and then throw in one of the existing big 12 teams. Yeah. Um, p- play as many as possible. Play three. Let's go. I mean, to, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I, I really hadn't given it that much thought to be honest with you, but whatever enhances the ability to develop rivalries, I'm, I'm in favor of, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the non-league schedule in football. Um, what happens long-term with Miami? Um, does this maybe mean the end of playing FCS games? I certainly hope so. But I, I, I moved into this league to play as many schools as possible. So I'm all for that. I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I'm all for, I'm all for for that, especially because I think the alternatives are a, a heck of a lot less, a heck of a let heck of a lot less appealing. Right. And I think, 
you know, that's a question we get on the board a lot. I get that a lot just because I kind of follow the scheduling stuff. And from conversations I've had, you know, obviously things can change, but it sounds like if it's a nine-game schedule, they're going to stick with the FCS because it gives them an you know automatic home game and yeah. a full house. Doesn't sound like the Miami thing is going to change. I'm less concerned if it is a nine-game schedule. I hated it as I hated just playing them at all under the eight-game eight conference schedule, mm-hmm. being that UC was the only team in the country doing a true home and home with. A, you know, with a program, a continuous home and home with a program that, you know, G5, P5, whatever. But like you see, tried to play for a national championship last year. Miami sat guys in their biggest, in their rivalry game to, so that they could be healthy for the Mac. That tells you like what they think of the, of the rivalry. So why are we still doing, going to their place every now, I guess every three years or whatever. And then I guess you get some sort of, home and home or, you know, every once in a while, a Notre Dame type situation. Um, This comes up every single year. I have uh, an insane amount of respect and appreciation for tradition. Um, And I have no reason to wish the Miami football program ill will. Uh, It's more fun when everybody in this part of the country is as good as, as they can be as in as many sports as possible. Who looks forward to the battle for the victory bell? Who does? No, maybe. I I mean, I say it selfishly for because of a UC fan. Like, there is zero benefit for them to play that game. They don't. It's not a recruiting benefit. It's this year actually is, but for about ten years it was on TV. Right. You travel to Miami. They raise the ticket prices for for UC fans to go to the game, like. If you only get so many opportunities to control your schedule and to continue to allow that situation to happen when it's not benefiting you at all. I just never understood it. I'm looking at this simply through the the lens of UC football. What's best for UC football? The, the, the people who run UC football owe Miami University nothing. That sounds harsh. It's not meant to be. By the way, the people at Miami University own the University of Cincinnati nothing. They own... They're the people who run Miami sports. Uh, their job is to protect the best interest of Red Hawks football, Red Hawks athletics, their donors, their fans, their alumni. But from a UC perspective, th- the job of the athletic director and the head coach is to protect the best interest of University of Cincinnati football. Does, does that program's best interest lie in making regular trips to Oxford and ensuring that you're playing Miami University every year? I think we've reached a point where the answer is probably no. Now, you know, does that mean you never play them again? And look, I I get it, man. Like it's with the fifth oldest rivalry in the country and the oldest rivalry west of the Alleghenies. I I really do respect that, man. I I get it. And I know there's a lot of, you know, old, older school fans that it's, it's a bigger deal to them. I really do appreciate that rivalry. I really, really do. Um, But, College sports have changed so much that unfortunately rivalries like that have become collateral damage. And, and yet college football has never been more popular and college basketball is exceedingly popular. And and we have, the sport will figure out a way to, to work if there's no battle for the victory bell. And then Miami's going to have to figure it out. If, if this is something, I mean, I don't admittedly don't know a ton of people who are just hugely invested in Miami sports aside from my neighbor. And I think he would tell you 
the battle for the victory bell is just not something they look forward to that much, right? No, I've no. gone to those games in, in Oxford. There's there's not that many people there. And again, that's no, it's no knock on Chuck Martin, who I think has done a, an admirable job. It's no knock on what that rivalry used to be, which was a lot more higher profile. It's 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 no it's no statement against them, but again, from a UC perspective, the, the people who run Bearcat Athletics owe nothing to anybody else except the best interests of their program. And I do not believe that moving forward, it's going to be in UC football's best interest to play Miami University every single year, including making regular trips to Oxford. Sorry. Right. And 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 if that hurts people's feelings, then it hurts people's feelings. But I, I just, I don't know how you could disagree with that. I don't well, know how you could disagree with that, even if you are a huge Miami supporter. You, you can't. And I don't know if it's a convenience thing. Like, it's just, it's always happened. So it's an easy thing to schedule. And, and we understand the contracts and everything. Or I don't know if it's a, well, you know, we've been big boyed by Ohio State or this team or that team. And we don't want to do that to that. Like, I don't care. It's that, like you said, it's not your responsibility to care about if their their schedule and their gate and you know whether you're you know thumbing your nose at them because now you're going to the big Big Twelve and and they're not as good as you. Like they're just not they're not comparable programs. And they the, if Illinois and Missouri can't play in basketball anymore and and Texas and Texas A and M can't play in football anymore. I mean, like, I just don't know under, understand like this whole you know tradition rivalry thing. Like, it's not a rivalry. UC's won fifteen times in a row. Yeah, like, yeah, it's not a like they don't care. They rested players in the rivalry game so that they were more healthy for MAC games. And don't blame them for it. I mean, oh, I don't think that's the thing. If that's <laughs> was the way my, because Miami is worried about Miami, which sure they, they have. Every right to be 100%. It was said it at the time. Chuck Martin is doing what's right by his program. No issue with it. It is, you know, it's, it's not apples to apples. If, if the skyline chili crosstown shootout was jeopardized, you would say, well, the collateral damage is there's a lot of fans who still love that game, right? Who still look forward to it. It's a big deal for them. And, you know, frankly, in recent years, Xavier fans have enjoyed it more. But it's but it's but it's a big deal. Like people look forward to it. It's it's something it's an, it's it's, an if, event. It's an event. If you have season tickets in a year where the, the game is in your building, uh, who is like, God, I got season tickets this year. And I tell you what, I might have to o- unload one or two, not letting go of my victory bowl tickets, or God, you know what? I can't go to every game, but I'm I'm coming in for that victory bowl game. I just I, nobody does that. It's it's not like you would be extinguishing this fervor over a game that OMG how th- th- there's going to be this huge void left on the local sports calendar. UC would be replacing it with something better, and Miami would be replacing it perhaps, maybe not every single year because they do have some scheduling needs they have to fulfill to you know um, to make money, but they could fulfill it with a game that they could be a little bit more competitive in. And I know some of those 15 games, Miami was very competitive. There was the game in 2017. They should have won or Chuck Martin forgot how a football clock works, but I mean, it, it hasn't been competitive. It's not something that anybody looks forward to. It's not something uh, that I, I, I detect a whole lot of fan fervor over. So why are we continuing to do this? And it's it's one thing when you have four non-league games. It's one thing when you have nothing better to replace it with. 
the University of Cincinnati is in a different spot than it was when we first started talking about this so many years ago. It, it, it is interesting how things have shifted because and Brian Kelly talked about this in 2008, right? Hey, moving forward, how much sense is it going to make for us to continue to go play on the road at a Mac school? And that was a big deal. Like, OMG, somebody's talking about ending this rivalry. Oh, yeah. It was and like now a, you, a, you know, it, turmoil. Like, how could you possibly yeah. say that? Front page news, Cincinnati Inquirer the day after the Bengals played on Monday Night Football. I'll never forget it. And now, who doesn't disagree with them? And that includes people who care about Miami University athletics. Absolutely. So, moving to kind of to hoops. 2022, your thoughts on what Wes Miller has done with the roster. I mean, there's been a, a pretty good roster overhaul. Uh, your thoughts on what is coming back, what he's brought in, and just kind of, you know, what what do you want to see? Are you are you wanting to see just more competitiveness? Are you going to be in March checking bubble matrix or, or February checking bubble matrix? Um, you know, what what bracket matrix? Sorry, like what are what are your what are your thoughts on basketball this year? Um. I want to see a team that has some sort of offensive identity because at the end of the year last year, and I don't think through the faults of the coaching staff, as it related to last year's roster, I mean, come down and heave up a three. That was the offense because you had nobody who was going to create off the bounce. You had nobody who was going to make plays for any of his teammates. You couldn't throw it into the post. I mean, they, they literally, think of every way that you could play offensive basketball. They weren't good at any of them. So, all right, let's just see if we can make some outside shots. And on rare occasion, it would work, but that's got to change, right? I mean, th th they're going to have to. And I think Landers Nolly can really help with that. And and Rob Finnessy, I've watched less than Landers. But, you know, to me, the if the, the idea, nothing against the kid himself, but at the beginning of the season last year, I'm going, I don't know how I feel about a team in which, Jeremiah Davenport is supposed to be the best player and David and Julius would have something to say about that. But if he's your third best guy or your fourth best guy, well, okay, that's, that's progress. And that's no knock on JD. I just think of all the UC teams we've watched on how many of those teams would you say JD is the best guy? The answer right. is zero, including some of Mick's worst. So, all right, that should change this year, but offensively, what, what can they hang their hat on? How can they get buckets? How can they get buckets when the other team is going on a run? How can they get buckets when they need one? How, how, how can they put a team on its heels offensively? Because last season there was none of it. I mean, it just, I I'd watch that team and go, I don't know. I don't know what a coach is supposed to do to try to figure out ways to score. Um, that's got to change. And you know, look, I would love to spend at least part of February checking, um, bracket matrix and bubble watch and all that stuff that that'd be that'd be a blast i just by the end of the season this might sound like a cop-out answer i want to feel like when they go to the big 12 like they're not going to be completely in over their head because you I mean, mean like not like mix first year yeah i don't want that i i, I want to go into that season feeling like they can fit in with a lot of the teams in the league probably not kansas baylor and houston Right. As currently you know, as currently constructed, but <clears throat> can they fit in or are they going to the Big 12 and are we talking about, you know, year 1 with Mick in the Big East 2 and 16 I think, right? Mm -hmm. Um 
that's how I would have felt about the, 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 the way things stood with the program at the end of last season. But now we have a year's buffer. There's been some very positive recruiting momentum that has been well documented here. Um, I, I just want to feel like they can fit in in the Big 12. I do think it's going to be fascinating, though, because, you know, let's be honest. Um, UC hasn't played in an NCAA tournament game since 2019. Haven't won one since 2018. Now, there's some obvious caveats here, much of which, most of which predates Wes Miller. 2020, we don't know. I don't talk about that season with as much certainty of, well, they would have been in. It might have been in as a 12 seed. They were going to play a neutral site game against UCF and USF, both of whom they struggled against. Like, are we sure they would have made it? But okay. Uh, but they didn't play an NCAA tournament game. And then 2021, not close. This year, not close. Um, this season, probably not an NCAA tournament team. Then you go to the Big 12. So what is the next year? What is the next season? I think this would be interesting to gauge how most UC fans would feel. What is the next season that you would say, they should make the NCAA tournament this year. Are you going to say that year one in the Big 12? Are are the guys you're bringing in, Daniel Skillings at all, plus Rayvon Griffin, hopefully still two years from now, are you going to look at that, plus whatever else West does with the roster and however the transfer portal exists by then? Are you going to be able to go into the year one of the Big 12 thinking we're an NCAA tournament team? Maybe. Um, I don't know that you would say that with much certainty right now. So when, you know, when's the next time you go, okay, they should make the NCAA tournament and how much more patience is there going to be moving forward if we're asking that same question a year from now or certainly two years from now? You made me think of an interesting interesting prop bet. Does UC make the NCAA tournament first or do the Reds make the playoffs? <laughs> My money's on the Bearcats. <laughs> but, you know, you, you, you brought up your initial point, I think, is spot on. And what I look at is the last month of the season, it was basically don't let David DeJulius touch the ball and these other guys can't score 40 points. Mm-hmm. So how does Landers Nolly, Rob Fennessy, any other newcomer, the development of the returning players, how does that impact – David to Julius not having to carry and not I won't say pressure, but like not having to carry the load to where the other team can't just say that. Like we're gonna double team this guy and nobody else can do anything. How how does that feed down the roster? How does that take you know the importance of the scouting report away from him? And how do those other guys develop into contributors that now that they have the opportunities because they are deeper? They, they can actually capitalize on it. And then my my biggest thing, in, and I have to admit, like I wasn't as tuned in last year for just whatever reason, um, I just, the toughness level just was not there. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not meaning, you know, we're not talking toughness is like they could go win a bar fight, but like anytime they needed to get a stop, it felt like they didn't get a stop. Or anytime mm-hmm. another team was on an 8-0 run, it was like, well, this is about to be 16 now. They're not tough enough to, to figure out a way to get a bucket, figure out a way to, to, to get some – to stem the tide, to slow down the momentum while your better players maybe are, are getting a well-deserved rest. Like, I just – I need to see – and, you know, it's a very cliche thing, but it's been the way it's been for 30 years. Like, I need to see, like, Bearcat toughness again. And we, I just didn't see it last year. 
Yeah, I, I think all those things are valid. I mean, you know, w- 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 they weren't very athletic. They, they they weren't a great shooting team by any stretch of the imagination. They they didn't have any real depth whatsoever. Uh, they weren't a team that you were like, well, they can sort of create havoc on defense with what they do athletically. Uh, they weren't a good rebounding team. I mean, it really didn't do anything well. And, and you know, I mean, so <laughs> somehow they beat Illinois by 20 points and it's still, <laughs> I still have, I still want to go back and watch that game to try to figure out how they did that. How? But, you know, I mean, heck, you talked about DeJulius, right? Like, I'm not saying David Julius is as good as Steph Curry, but the way teams defend Steph when his foot hits the midcourt line and two guys pick him up, that's what teams were doing to David Julius last year, right? We are taking the ball out of this dude's hands. He can literally throw it to anybody, anywhere. We'll take our chances. That's how he was being defended. College basketball team can't operate that way. So that's 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 got to change. You're you're asking a lot of newcomers. And and I'm I'm always a little bit wary of getting too excited about guys who come from other programs, but the roster was so barren last year that almost anybody feels like an upgrade. And then you know, look, uh, Pearson Skilling specifically. By the end of the season, do we go okay? Those guys are you know difference makers enough that those guys can fit in the Big Twelve. And if the answer is yes, you know, then I think we'll feel pretty good uh, about what's next. But yeah, you know, look, this is this is the first. You know, you think about it. Um, the first real normal off season they've had since 2018, because 19 Mick leaves, Brandon gets the job late. Um, 20 is COVID. 21 Brandon exits. Wes gets the job late. It's it's since the aftermath. I hate to bring it up. It's it's since the aftermath of the Nevada game that they've had that they've gone into a normal off season. And, and unfortunately this year, they got a, an early off season because they didn't make any postseason tournaments. So I've kind of hung myself on that. Like, all right, they've been dealing with chaos and instability and so much uncertainty going into every single off season, whether it be with a pandemic, um, the, the portal, uh, coaching changes, uh, the, the weirdness of how John Brandon left. None of that's here this year. They're not cobbling together a staff on the fly. They're not readjusting things on the fly. I mean, it's just this is the first normal offseason they've had since Gary Clark was departing and Jacob Evans was making a decision about to go in the draft. That is forever ago. It's a oh, lifetime yeah. ago. So I do think there's going to be benefit to that, especially with a coach who I I think has his, his act together and, and gets it and sort of understands the enormity of the job and is, you know, aimed high when it comes to recruiting. I, I don't think we talk about that enough. I think that's really important and they've got to take advantage. And I, I certainly hope to God they do. Yeah. I mean, I think the things you, you mentioned earlier, just the, I'm excited about the, what I think is a big time increase just in like overall athleticism and traits that this roster will have compared to last year. I mean, I think we've talked about it on, on whether it was the BCJ part or the BBP that I think there's only two guys under six, five on the roster now. Mm-hmm. Um, just, it's a much, it appears to be a much more athletic, much more, you know, sk- traitsy type team. And I think that was evident against the better teams that they played, that they just, they just couldn't compete. Um, from that standpoint, I'm excited to see Josh Reed and Daniel Skillings as freshmen. I mean, they, they're high, high level guys. Now, what, what, what can we expect? I'm not sure. Like you said, 
you know, Chad and I always try to temper expectations on transfers. Mm-hmm. Um, more times than not, someone transferring up isn't all of a sudden going to contribute more than they were transferring at their at their previous spot. I do think Landers Nolly is like a real deal player mm-hmm. and and can can help David and, and the roster as a whole. I mean, be that kind of that guy that has done. I mean, he was all a all ACC freshman team. He's been all AAC. Um, you know, teams before. So, so that helps. And just, you know, like you said, the, the way Wes has looked at recruiting, I mean, I, I think this is a big year on the court. It's kind of a transition year, whereas for football, the last year in the AAC, we're kind of dreading for basketball. I'm not really, I don't look at it the same way because I think it's going to tell us a lot about what we can expect going into the big 12. And I think it's kind of a perfect situation for basketball where you do have some senior transfers, but you also have some young guys and some second-year guys that you want to get a lot more exposure and to know what you have as you transition to the Big 12 so that you know, okay, I don't need to do like another five- or six-man roster flip. Like, I can count on these guys. I think they're Big 12-level guys, and I'm only replacing – truly replacing the the outgoing seniors. Yeah, I mean, this – the current roster doesn't feel cobbled together. It certainly has flaws and there's certainly questions. And and I'm with you when it comes to, you know, getting too excited about transfers. I, I've joked all the time that like in the transfer portal at the end of the year, when people are like, you know what, I just want to get to the portal. Who's in the portal. And I go, you know, what's in the portal is a whole lot of Rappelis Ivanowskis. <laughs> um, Nothing so, against Raph. He seemed like a really good kid. But someone but, on Twitter put up like that recruiting class the other day, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. So, you know, the last few years, and and out of necessity, were teams that were all sort of just cobbled together, right? I mean, going back to John Brandon's first year, uh, say what whatever you want about him, he got the job late. I got to assemble a staff. I got to put together a roster. I got to figure out who's going to stay. And it was all sort of cobbled together and we all went along with it, right? Like that's okay, that's that's what happens. Year yeah, one at the end of the day, we're we all just want the team to do well. So we're gonna buy you know, most fans right. are just gonna buy in and, and hope, basically. Right. That, and, that the guy and, knows what the hell he's doing. And he was still inheriting uh, you know, we didn't maybe know it right at the beginning, but he was still bringing back the, the league's reigning player of the year. So okay, cobbled together, but you got the, the reigning player of the year and a guy in Trayvon Scott who had a, a very good UC career, but then all right, the second season. Um, in, you know, due to some circumstances beyond anybody's control, again, just sort of felt sort of thrown together, cobbled together, this huge disruption in, in recruiting. And then West gets the gig this year and eh, kind of the same thing, like all sort of just, I just got to get some guys. I got to fill out a roster. And if the pieces don't necessarily fit, we just, we got to have a team this year and I'll do my best to coach them up. This doesn't feel quite like that, right? Like maybe, maybe there are some players uh, that have a profile that two or three years from now you would say you don't want as Bearcats, especially in the Big 12, but it, it doesn't feel like this is just a whole bunch of dudes and we'll figure it out. This but they can still be like solid players for you down down your bench. Whereas before yeah. you like there were several that you were just like, this dude can't just cannot play even at this level. Yeah. So you mentioned Reed and Skillings, like there's a lot of schools that would like to have them. Those are building block guys. And in, in the last three years, how many you know, true building block freshmen didn't really feel like they had. Tari Eason, I think, would be an obvious answer, and maybe oh, Mikey buddy. Saunders, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, gonna, you know, going to go in the lottery to, tomorrow uh, night. Oh, man. But, but yeah, the, 
this I, I'm 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 encouraged by the fact that the way you know because you can't help but compare it to the previous three years, which haven't been great. This feels like it has a better chance of working, but but again, also I mean that's that's a byproduct of a of a more normal off season. And if you do think about it, man, I mean you know again when Mick left, it it wasn't like he left the day after UC lost to Iowa it was three weeks later, right? I mean, you know, I don't blame him for that, but that's, that's how it worked out. And then however you feel about the way things unfolded at the end with John Brandon, it, it's not like they lost to Houston and they moved on from him the next day. It took a couple of weeks. Those things don't help. And then you throw in the middle of it, um, you know, COVID, which just created months of uncertainty for all of college basketball. It, it has just felt like the, the, the program has been, um, I'm trying to think of the best analogy, and I can't. But but the program has just sort of been it's, running it's with. It's been in in flux, like yeah, just, been in flux. Just you chaos. Going in, you haven't gone yeah. from one season. Like I kind of look at it like the way football is running now, or the way basketball ran for the last like five six years of of mixed tenure. There, you didn't just have these like building block guys that you knew when the season was over that they were going to come into a new role. And yeah, we don't know how they're going to necessarily take to that role, but we've seen enough of them, you know, like when a Troy Campaign becomes the point guard or like, you yeah. know, think, things like that. Like there was no like just steady progression of this guy's been in the program for three years and now Justin Jennifer, he's going to be the starter. And, right. and we kind of right. know what we're going to get. And and is he an unbelievable player? No, but he's he's steady and, and he's got good guys around him and he knows how to distribute and, and things like that. There's just never been that like, you had no building. You were never able to build off of whether it was good or bad, like what you did the previous year. It was like almost one individual season stacked on top of each other. And I think as, as a longtime Bearcat fan and you and I are, you know, and I remember saying this when John Brandon got the job. And then again, when Wes Miller got the job for all of my life, since I started following UC athletics, they essentially had two coaches. All I've known is basically continuity and yeah, a disruption in the middle of the two thousands with the, the transition from, from Bob Huggins to Mick Cronin. But all we had known for the most part was stability and continuity. And, you know, at the beginning of one season, you kind of had an idea of what things would look like at the beginning of the next season. Right. I mean, you just, that's how it worked. That hasn't been the case in in a very long time here. And so the results speak for themselves. And I think, you know, both Wes and and whatever you want to say about John, I think both John and Wes have done whatever they could uh, under those circumstances, some of which with uh, John, I think one might say are, are self-created. But I that it feels like they the program has put that behind it. And, and now here's the staff here are the players they're going to move forward with. Here's the kids coming in. Here's at least some of the kids coming in after that. And here's what recruiting looks like. Um, but again, this season, I think we all want to walk away from this year going, Oh, that's, that's what a Wes Miller team looks like. Um, I think we'd be doing Wes a, a dramatic disservice if we looked at last year's team and said, Oh, that's what a Wes Miller team right. looks like. Cause I don't think that's the case. Yeah. I want to, I want to look at this team and go, this is what his, this is his vision. And we're going to try to build off of this with better players as we go into the Big 12. Year two of Mick, they weren't very good, but I, I think we all walked away from that going, well, shit, they'll defend. Uh, he, here's what he's going to ask of them. Th they're going to have toughness. Like, y y y okay, with better players, this will be pretty good because here's what it's going to look like. 
I just think with with the roster and and what Wes inherited, the circumstances that he walked into the, into the job prevented him from being able to put together a team that you could say that about at the end of the season. By the end of the season, let me feel like, all right, that's what it's going to look like. Need better players, need more players, whatever. But that's that's what it that's what it's going to look like. And and if we can do that at the end of the year, um, that'd be cool. If we could also get to like the Monday after the Super Bowl where I can go, all right, let's see what the bracketologists are saying. Right. That'd be kind of cool. Just get me, get me to the Monday after the Super Bowl, right? Let me fly home from Arizona after we watch the Bengals and go, uh, let's okay, let's let's see where the bracketologists have the Bearcats. Let's see if they even have them as the one of the next four out. That would be that would be nice because I stopped paying attention in in really mid December to that. Well, that that'll be the fun part about the Big Twelve is that even if they are in that like next four out. You can go, okay, there's plenty of wins to move them into the field. Whereas, right. like, you know, under the current situation, if you're in that spot, you're like, well, we can't lose again, and we need some help. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's, it's going to sound like I'm taking a shot at Xavier, and I'm not. But last year, I mean, it, it illustrated how remarkable what they did was because even when things started to unfold poorly, you kind of looked at the metric lead and you're like, all right, they're in. And you know what? There's enough good games in front of them. As long as they don't totally piss down their leg, they'll be okay. Well, they pissed down their leg. But the league was forgiving enough that all you had to do was avoid disaster, right? And that's that's not how it is in the AAC. That's not how it is in those leagues. In the Big East, uh, you know what? All right, if you've, you've gotten off to a good start, you haven't, you know, screwed yourself in the non-conference, and you get off to a good start, uh you could lose some games and it's not going to punt you from the tournament and you could certainly recover and win some games and you're going to be okay. And Xavier didn't do that this past season. So um, you just want to have the opportunity to where every, every yeah. loss isn't a season ending situation. You want to, Hey, we lost a game on a Wednesday night in the league. The, you know, crowd was insane. Uh, they went 12 of 21 from three. We didn't have a good night. It doesn't torpedo yeah. your oh, season. Oh well, we get number nine Oklahoma or what you know, number nine Baylor at home on Saturday. We can make that right. up. Yeah, it doesn't torpedo your season. In in this league, it felt like every time they lost was oh, there's going to be severe ramifications. Even in the years in which they were really good. I mean, even in the years in which was the 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 year in which they lose to they lost the noon game at ECU one time. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, and it probably cost them like three seed lines. And right, you just you felt like, you know, this this just this this is devastating. This is so damaging. Um, in a league like the one they're going to be in, that's that's not going to be the case. But in order for that to matter, you have to improve what you're doing on the floor, and and that's that's up to Wes and his staff. Well, I think it's you know, it's fun to just have these things to look forward to to see how. Both pro, both major programs can, one how it continues to build and you know transition into a new league and one that you know I think we we all obviously want them to be successful and want Wes to to see his vision through. But I think it's it's fun knowing that we're going to be able to see it in a conference like the Big Twelve and and that basketball you know and I'm a I'm a football guy, but I mean, I, I don't think, you know, that's 
it would take a lot to turn the general UCU fan base into being more football than basketball. And I think that the excitement level for basketball is going to go through the roof when they can finally get, you know, to the big 12 and, and hopefully that helps the program as much as, as we think it could. Yeah. Uh, the, the league is going to be a tremendous basketball asset and, you know, sure. Right now, I think for a lot of people, it does feel like it's been shoved to the background because of the success of football. But I mean, you and I both know how much UC basketball matters. Uh, you and I both know how much fun it can be when they're really good. And you and I both know what it could feel like when they're really good in a conference that's really good. And that can happen here. And I, I think it will. Uh, I think it's a, a matter of, of when is it going to happen and, you know, what road do they have to take to get there? But, um, you know, this season's going to be really, really interesting because it's a bridge here to the Big 12. But but they've they've got to, you know, you talked about, well, it's sort of nice they have the soft landing of, of the AAC this year for one more season. They've got to take advantage of it, and they need to be more competitive certainly by – by the end of the season than they were at the, the end of the season this year. Like I, I mean, I, I th- their last, if, if we go back to 2021, like their last trying to figure how many halves against Houston, they were pretty good in the uh, AAC tournament in the first yeah. half before uh, they've been non-competitive. Oh, um, yeah. And uh, Houston, again, might be the number one team in the country this year, but but that's Perhaps. what, like, we were we were better than them, you know, four years ago, five, whatever it was. Like, yeah, beat them, so, beat them in the title game in consecutive years in eighteen and nineteen, and you know, really since then they um, they've been outclassed, and and we're not used to watching. We're you know we're we've seen UC basketball lose games to really good teams. The the lack of competitiveness against the best in the conference uh, is not something most of us are used to, and that. I hope comes to somewhat of an end this year. Yeah. I mean, sneaky thing I might be looking forward to the most about the big 12 is the big 12 basketball tournament. Like, yeah. Going to those noon game and it's just packed like that. Yeah. That is, that's what it's supposed to be. Not going, you know, who the hell wants to go watch the eight, nine game, you know, ECU versus two lane at 11 o'clock local time in Fort Worth. Like, nope. No, no one. Their own fans don't want to do that. Uh, no, uh, n- no, I, uh, I never did that, and and never will oh, do that. He- hello, Chad. Hi, guys. Hello. What's up? We, I was just about to train. We, we've hit the two-hour mark, which Chad knows is my cutoff point. But I didn't want to. I didn't want to transition <laughs> to two two topics that. I know Mo is interested in. Tomorrow night is the NBA draft. Well, well hold yeah. on for one second, Dave. Okay. Okay. We're going to timestamp right here. Oh, coming in hot. With wow. from, time from Urban Artifact. Urban Artifact is the largest. I did, I, did, I did one earlier, just totally off the cuff. I know. I was listening the entire drive home from San Diego. <laughs> you guys are doing a great job. Uh, it's the largest sour-only brewery in the United States. They pack over 700,000 pounds of real fruit into their lineup of fruit tarts every year. Swing by Urban Artifacts Northside Tap Room. Mention Bearcat Journal and get two dollars off a flight of four tasters. How about that? Nigga, Mo, just mention Bearcat Journal and you can save your sister some money. I'm in. So I just wanted to make sure we got one 
good one, solid one, ad read. One that they actually said. I talked about going <laughs> to Urban Artifact with my sister two weeks ago. I know. I heard. I appreciate that. Those are those are valuable anecdotes that advertisers love. I'm glad. How <laughs> was San Diego State? Oh. What a, that ballpark is a twelve out of ten. It is outstanding. Good place. Solid. Yeah. Very good. The, the, everything's a clean view. The the way it's set up is really really nice. Um, I, I, I like I said on your show. Like it's a, a a wide, vast variety of food options, all from places local to, to San Diego. Um, just a really cool vibe. We had a great time. Very cool. And they sell churros, like huge <laughs> ones. We just had a, a tragedy. We we brought one home, and as Kelly was getting it out of the car, it slipped out of the bag and underneath the car. So uh, under so, that, oh, get man, Kelsey under there and dig that son of a bitch out. Kelsey, go get it. <laughs> it's like a $12 churro, probably. Only, only six. Oh, okay. Only six for only six. fried dough. With Do I not believe in a day off? I couldn't tell you the last <laughs> time I took a day off. It's not how my brain works. Why? Why would you? There's plenty to talk about every day. I, I listened to this show the entire drive back from San Diego. It was delightful. Thank you. Thank so, you. Mo, Mo NBA fun. draft tomorrow night. Yes. Do you think the NFL should have the NFL draft two weeks after the Super Bowl? <laughs> I I kind of do. Maybe not that. I, I, I wish the draft would come before free agency, right? It used um, to, right? No, it's not as well, long as I mean, not as long as I can remember. It's always been the end of April. Yeah, I mean, we used to not really have free agency to the degree we do now in the in the NFL. But yeah, I mean, the the draft process is just exhausting. I I mean, e- even even if you're really into it, um, you have to admit, man, the 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 process can just be insanely exhausting. And and to a degree, it it does its it it serves its purpose. It builds suspense and all that stuff, but. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, the the NBA Finals ended a week ago, and here we go. We're drafting. I, I, I love it. I'm, uh, that to me tells you like how prepared are you? Correct. Agree. You know, Agree. You know how many? How like how how prepared can you get during the season and mm-hmm. in in the week? You know, after to to make the right call. Now I'm a. Everyone knows, or most people know, that you are a Knicks fan. I am a fringe, I guess, ish Thunder fan. I enjoy how they have nine thousand draft picks, like over the next ten years. But can convince me why I should be okay with Chet Holmgren and them if they don't get Jabari Smith. Oh, I can't because um, I want Jabari Smith, but it sounds like he's going to go to Orlando. I, I the the track record of players who are built like poles that you see on stage. <laughs> at exotic nightclubs is not very long and i i i get it i i mean you can't miss gonzaga when you watch college basketball so i watched a lot of chet holmgren and there's a lot to like about his game i just i i watch nba basketball games ain't a whole lot of dudes built like him holding their own and so you mean like I seven foot one ninety five is it yeah gonna get no, a I mean, over an eighty two game schedule against right thirty year olds Correct. You don't have to be built like Shaquille O'Neal, but I mean, you, you, 
it can't be built like this this lamp that I've got here on my desk. I mean, he's like two I, feet taller than me, and I weigh like thirty pounds more than him. I I just can't get over it. I I I can't I can't get over that when I think about him being regarded as one of the best two or three prospects in this draft, and and maybe that is a really sort of uh, narrow-minded, unfair right. way of looking at things. Like but, you're just but saying, again, like he's skinny, he can't be good type thing, which is you know, like I said, narrow-minded, but like. Watch the NBA. I mean, right. watch NBA games. Tell me Who's he who going looks to? like him that's that's holding his own, right? I mean, Memphis used to have a kid named Earl Barron that wasn't built quite the same, but I'd watch him and, and I'd hear about what a great prospect he was. And I'm like, again, he's the skinniest dude I've ever He's built like a pen. And he got to the NBA or at least had a chance and, and was sort of pushed around. I just, I, I, there's no one who looks like him athletically and from a frame standpoint. So I'm, I, I cannot convince you that guy is, is going to be I'm going to be disappointed, but what, yeah, whatever. Um, who are you hoping the next draft? I've seen a lot of A.J. Griffin. Yeah, I mean, so for, for my money, just where they are, uh, that would be fine with me. You know, he he's young. Uh, sort of play the wing, maybe 3 and D a little bit. Uh, I, I You can't find anybody who really believes the Knicks are going to are gonna pick 11th. There's There's – a lot of people who believe they're either going to, you know, trade maybe out of the first round entirely or trade down or figure out a way to move it and an asset to get a star. Uh, but, you know, there's that that would be, I think, if, if you gave me all the guys who are most likely to go at 11, I, I would be fine with A.J. Griffin. You know, they have they have so many assets. They have so many young players. They have uh, eight guys right now, eight rotation players who are either 24 or younger. Um, so they have sort of a young nucleus, but that also means they have a lot of, lot of assets they could package, a lot of young contracts they could package. Package. I think the more pressing question for them this offseason, um, more so than anything they're going to do in the draft or perhaps perhaps even in free agency is what are they going to do with that Julius Randle contract, if anything? Do they still view him as a guy that's worth building around? Do they still view him as, a, as you know, kind of their best player? what do they do with Julius Randle? And then is RJ Barrett going to accept a contract extension? That's not for the max. And if the answer is no, how, how's that going to unfold moving forward? What's it going to cost to keep Mitchell Robinson? Are they going to extend cam reddish? Their draft assets aren't great. They have like are there players. They have to draft AJ. Have, of course. Are they, <laughs> are, are, is, is is there enough in their core of younger guys that they could package along with the 11th overall pick for a bona fide star? But the consensus from people who cover that league seems to be that uh, they're more likely to not have the 11th pick tomorrow night than than they are to actually have. Well, I always no, I always the Reds lost. Oh, eight to four. Joe Kunal and uh, company did them in. Well, that's a stunner. Yeah, hard to believe. Yeah. Uh, so I'll get you out on this one. You and I both big, big fans of the cigar. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to give any free ads, but where do you like to get your cigars in Cincinnati? And do you have any brands or smokes that you seem to go back to more often than not? Um, so I'm not a snob when it comes to cigars. I love cigars. And I can certainly appreciate uh, a great one. Um, so to me, the most wide variety you're going to find in Cincinnati is the House of Cigar in Sharonville. Um, they have a lounge in the back. Um, 
you can bring your own beer or liquor or whatever and and so you can you can buy a cigar go out to the back place and it sort of looks like a old school furniture warehouse but you can sit back relax smoke a cigar and, and put back a six pack and you're good to go i uh, like uh they have a, a wide selection of pretty much every uh la gloria cubana cigars that you can find and not every um not every uh, cigar outlet could say that I like pretty much every Partagas cigar made. The Partagas Lusitania, if you could ever find it, which you can't ever find anywhere, if you can get that, that is absolutely top-end stuff. Um, it, it, for people who get Jeff Ruby gift cards for gifts, uh, go, and get, one of them. go and get the Jeff Ruby Boss. Like if you're like, I got 100 bucks, that's not going to pay for a whole meal, fine. Go and buy two Jeff Ruby Boss cigars. They're made by Rocky Patel, and they're oh. just absolutely top notch. Uh, I got my. That? Do you, can you only get them at a Jeff Ruby? I believe so. Yeah, I believe okay. you can only get them at at a at a. Somebody gave me a a Jeff Ruby gift card for my birthday one year, and they were crestfallen beyond belief when I told them I used it to buy cigars. I just bought and five cigars. I getting... bought two, I bought two cigars and a thing of steak rub, and that's all I got. It was great. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I, I like, I like the Monte Cristo cigars, the mildest cigar you can get. Like if there's anybody who's just starting to smoke cigars, but they want something that's like, not, you know, like an eyeball or something, uh, go and get the, the Monte Cristo white series. It's mild as hell. You'll be hooked on smoking cigars. It's creamy. It's got the smoothest finish ever. Um, if you're a more advanced cigar smoker, it might be a little bit too mild for you, but I, I, I got one of those for my father-in-law for father's day because he's. Uh, not a novice cigar smoker, but not a hardcore guy, but he wanted to sit outside and smoke one with me. So I, I got him one of those. Uh, those are, are absolutely uh, fantastic on, on the less expensive end. Excalibur cigars are always really good. I love the Perdomo cigars. Honestly, they're, they have so many of them that I, I kind of lose track of which ones I like, but I like the, the 20th anniversary sun grown is, uh, is a favorite of mine. That's always uh, really, really good. Romeo Julieta. Again, mass-produced, you can find them anywhere. But the Nicaraguan, which has the yellow label, um, different flavor po uh, profile, sort of gives kind of a, a black pepper kick to it. That's really good as well. I could really keep going and keep talking about cigars. House of Cigar in Sharonville is great. Um, Strauss Tobacconist, in terms of, like, helpfulness, their cigar isn't, like, their cigar selection isn't, like, the most expansive but, like, if you want to walk into a place and say, hey, dude, show me the ropes here. Here's what I'm thinking. They could not be more helpful. Party Source as well is obviously awesome as well. Uh, they have an interesting Davidoff section, which those aren't yeah. my favorite cigars, but they pretty much have, like, every single Davidoff cigar you can get your hands on. And they've got, like, a humidor inside, inside the humidor. The, that if, yeah, yeah. yeah, so if you go in and, and no. you're like, I want to buy a buddy of mine something top-end, they'll take you in there. Party Source is good. And if you want to buy them online, uh, I go to MikeCigars.com, which pretty much has um, anything you could ever ask for. Well, what do you think of the the fit today, for the, the Padres fit for Kelsey? Pretty good. I like Certain it. I thought, that's pretty good stuff. I, you know, hopefully you bought her some ice cream for not uh, playing my little game on the air. Mo, <laughs> they went and got a helmet of chocolate ice cream, and they came back, and that thing was fourteen inches high. And there was chocolate just pouring down the side of the helmet. It was a disaster. Sounds amazing. Was it good? You and mom just sat there and ate it all with your face before it melted? <laughs> no, it melted all over us. It was everywhere. 
It was everywhere. That sounds, that sounds so thanks amazing. for that. Where where You're do you welcome. where do you come in on the on like medium full sc- scale? Um, closer to full. Yeah, can appreciate cool. medium. All right, we're going to get dinner. Bye, guys. You have fun. All right, see ya. See ya. Take care. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's where I am. I'm. I I gotta feel like I'm. I've got something. Yeah, I, I closer to full than I can appreciate a really mild cigar. You know, I was talking about uh, Monte Cristo White Label White Series. Um, but yeah, more, more full. I love I love trying cigars more so than like liquor. I love trying cigars that I've I've never seen before, never had before. I never turn them down. I, I never turn my nose up at them. Um, so if I go to a place like House of Cigar or Party Source, I try to find something that I've never had. Mm-hmm. And I don't, with rare exceptions, and I actually smoked one last, uh, two nights ago. Whoa, I think I still have one here. <laughs> uh, with, with, with rare exceptions, um, it's... There's not many bad cigars. Yeah. But um somebody did send me a box of like randos for Father's Day and included in there was a punch. Oh, this yeah. is a this is a tree branch, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Th- this is this is I mean, you're better off just putting a lit <laughs> piece of charcoal in your mouth. Um I I sat I sit outside with my wife and she'll have a drink and I'll you know, smoke a cigar. And, and I literally looked at her and I said, you, you don't really ever hear me say this, but this is, this Trash. is dreadful. I'm going somewhere else. And so, yeah. um, let's see what else. My, like, my go-to. And I think it will always be is the, the La Apolencia, my, the, sure. the, my father Garcia yeah. Garcia, like love that love Alec Bradley stuff like gatekeeper mm-hmm. project 40, Oh, I got Project Forty right here. This yeah. is, this is what I'm smoking as soon as I get done with this. I'm you gonna go outside the, and well, fire this up. You mentioned the Monte Cristo Nicaragua series. The, I got the black label, the the white and orange one. I like. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh you know, AJ Fernandez, the the Upman AJ Fernandez collaborations are good. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Olivia's. I like a lot of the Olivia's too. Yeah, I got one of those in here. Um, well, you've got like two two humidors, don't you? I mean, I've, I I've, only got like the yeah. little tra- travel one. I've got the- my wife got it. Uh, it's got four levels to it, and uh, it's 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 perfect. It uh, it houses. I probably got like a hundred sticks in there uh, at a time. Uh, those are. Yeah, it's 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 maybe the coolest gift anybody ever got. And then if I'm feeling stupid, I'll go to Party Source and see if they have any Opus X's and and spend too much money on one of those. But yeah, yeah, no, I the I don't there. You know, there's not the um the asylum. You ever smoke an asylum cigar? I don't. I don't think so. Yeah. Also, not great. Um, <laughs> but I'm trying to think of. Um, to me, it's more about like. I'm not, I don't really like, I'm more of a spicy with like a hint of sweet mm-hmm. versus like the sweet ones. But to me, it's more about like, how does it smoke? How does it burn? Like, am I having to constantly relight it? Is it falling apart? That's to me is like a bad one versus like the taste of it. Right. Yeah. Um, in Chicago, I smoked a Fuente. Uh, it was like Fuente rare pink. 
which was not cheap and which uh, the store owner talked me into, and that was beyond uh, delightful. That was that was phenomenal. Um, yeah, I'm 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 trying to think here. So Matthew uh, wants to know: Did you smoke a cigar when the Bengals won the AFC Championship? I did. Um, I did. Yeah. Uh, and I took one into the Super Bowl with me, but I didn't smoke <laughs> it. Uh, I did. I I smoked one. Um, my day that day was interesting, but it it ended with a it ended with a cigar. I don't remember what kind, but it ended with a cigar outside a bar in the west side of Cincinnati, and it was. It was delightful. Yes, it was a, smoked se- several several good ones after Big Bearcat or, or Big Bengals wins. Uh, well, I think that about wraps it up. Do you, do you have anything else? I know we've kept you kept you a long time. We appreciate you helping out with Chad being on vacation. I'm I'm trying. Hang on. <laughs> Right here. This is this is the greatest. This is the, they they you know they've got his name on it. I don't know if you can see that. They've got his picture on the the ring, but I always take the rings off. If go, uh, if somebody buys you a Jeff Ruby, a gift card, go and buy. If you like cigars, go and get one of these. First of all, they're all Churchill, so they're all well sized. Uh, this is this is worth your time. I so I don't. You, I don't the, did you say it's the bull or the boss? Boss. Boss. The boss. It even says so, it on the I mean, room. The that's boss. surprising because, like, I would. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just wrong, but like, I'm always reluctant to buy something that someone has like personalized because I feel like they're just getting not a knockoff, but like a cheaper product, putting their name, putting their likeness on it, and then selling it to you for an exorbitant price, but you're, you're saying that it is, it is legit good. Oh man. It's fantastic. Uh, this is also great. This is uh, la Unica. Uh, this is, uh, uh this is phenomenal. Have this you had is, the Chad Johnson cigars? I think I have one in my, my, this is the Valkyrie man of war. So I pulled these out because I put them on top. Cause I've smoked, uh, each of these recently and went out and got them. And then I I love these La Gloria Cubana. You could buy this anywhere. I bought this at Cut Rate Tobacco, but the the entire line is available at uh, the the cigar store, or cigar House well, of Cigar. I, I have Sharon to check Bay. these. I live way out on the east side, so like Jungle Gyms or uh, Party Source are usually in my stops. But I'll have to to check out these these other ones, and maybe you and I can can get together and and go go to. Uh, the one in Sharonville that has the smoking lounge. Uh, yeah, no, that's in, in, and it's again, it's BYO. Um, I don't know where the hell I got this one, but this is, uh, <laughs> St. Louis, right? This is always, this is a, this is a really strong cigar. It's really good. I don't know where I, I don't know where I got that one, but yeah, well, I, I could do this all night. A I know we, we could. And, and, you know, I hope there's at least one person listening that enjoys those as well. Uh, I'm sure there's, Plenty that have just turned us off, but you know, this is the La, uh, La Gloria Cubana Serie R. This is a big, wide, huge. I mean, it almost. Well, you you can determine what it looks like, but it, this is 60, 60 gauger. Yeah, this is a. Uh, well, here, my my buddy, my buddy bought me this. Oh, one of, yeah, I got a buddy that like shows up with these like yeah. this big. I'm like, what do you do with that? 
the JFR lunatic. I'm sure it's really good. I <laughs> almost assure you it's not. Um, <laughs> you need like a blowtorch to light it. Also, like, you know, I mean, like it's, it hurts your jaw if you just want to. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, a buddy of mine bought me that and we've we've had all sorts of jokes about it. So. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. But uh, but, you know, thank you. Had a lot of fun. Hope to, uh, you know, get you get you back on here soon as a, as a guest. Uh, you know, maybe as we get closer to football season or during the season. Um, are you disappointed? Like, I think this is correct. You're not going to. Based on the schedules, you're not going to be able to fill in for Dan at the Maui Invitational. Uh, I am. The oh, you Bengals, are. Yeah, the Bengals are playing on Sunday night uh, in Pittsburgh, and the first game is on Monday. And so, um, well, that. Okay. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Thanksgiving yeah, I'm, I'm, in, in Hawaii. Uh, I mean, I, I've said to him like, uh, I, like three weeks ago. I'm like, all right. Should I get my hopes up? And he's like, "You're going." So, um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about that. I, I'm, it's quite a quite a field. I'm hoping the Bearcats can yeah can can you know stand up for themselves. That would be would be would be nice. The last event like that that I called uh, was the one in St. Thomas, and and they won two games, but it was. It was kind of a weird, weird event. Oh yeah, so. the the Jaron Cumberland not going in, and then all of a yeah. sudden going in yeah. game. Strange. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's nice to be back in a tournament that people can watch on normal television. Has ever <laughs> I've ever heard about? Because when we went to Destin a couple weeks ago for vacation, I was I showed my wife. I was like, oh, UC played in a in a basketball tournament at this junior college one time. Uh, no, I I, I called that one too. In, North in nice Niceville, Florida, Northwest Florida. I think the junior college home of Farad Cobb, if I'm not yep. mistaken, but yeah, and they won that one. They, they beat Ole, beat Ole Miss, beat George Mason, George maybe? Mason, yeah, they beat George Mason that Ole Miss, yeah, yeah, they played uh, played pretty well that turn. Yeah, it's, it's nice to be in one that you know you don't have to get Flow Sports to, <laughs> to watch or you know just follow on the Yahoo app. That's right. <laughs> so, but anyway. Thanks again. Thanks to our sponsors, the Holy Grail, Urban Artifact. We we appreciate you jumping on and hope to catch, you know, where can uh, most people know who you are, but where where can they find you? We have a show in the afternoon on ESPN 1530, uh, which is from 3 to 6 in the afternoon. It's available on the iHeartRadio app, except the next two days because I'm taking off. Well, I'm I'm sorry that we drug your early vacation on until 1030 at night. No problem. Happy to join you. All right, guys. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. This was the BCJ Podcast, and we will catch you all next week.